drama that, while not exactly novel, is something nobody alive remembers having to deal with before. And the ones who are getting the ethics wrong most consistently are precisely the group that prides itself on its ethical superiority. These are people who all but worship the idea of self-sacrifice. They're Messiah, in their minds anyway, is the very embodiment of that concept. But that doesn't matter because theirs is a rules-based morality and there's no rule in the Bible that says thou shalt wear a fucking mask and get your fucking shot. Of course, I'm sure you could go through the Bible and find plenty of passages that clearly indicate that getting vaccinated and masking up is the moral thing to do. But to do so would be to miss the point. The problem isn't the specific moral precept that we're working with, but rather the very framework that they're putting it on. A thing is made moral by a moral authority proclaiming it. In this instance, the preponderance of those moral authorities, in their minds anyway, said that the moral thing to do was to stand up for your rights, refuse the shot, and aggressively breathe on as many people as possible. Now, there were some moral authorities for all of them saying the opposite, yes. And for some of those folks, that might have been a pretty even mix. Maybe even the majority were saying to do the right thing, but that doesn't matter. Because at the same time that they're being told that morality is based on following a set of fucking rules, they're also being told that a ghost will whisper the right answer to them if the problem is ever too tough. So so when they encounter conflicting moral dictates, their ethical system literally tells them that the moral choice is whatever the fuck they feel like. This is at least part of the reason why reforming the faith can't work. Yes, progressive Christianity is better than regressive Christianity, but so is almost everything. The root of the problems, though, are so deeply woven into the fabric of the faith that you can't tease them out without the whole damn thing unraveling. And that's not a bad thing. The whole thing unraveling, as we've demonstrated over and over again, is the most moral outcome possible. They're talking about your Jesus. Interrupt this broadcast bring you a special news bulletin. Joining me for headlines tonight are the ghosts of Heath and Eli. We're off for one more week, and it turns out we actually recorded way more headlines than we needed. So rather than letting them go to waste, we're going to forego the normal C-segment this week and join a marathon of headlines from the past already in progress. And in 12 Angry Son of Men news. Oh, the story. We have a follow-up on a no. story from a couple months ago Don't want about it. whether a jury <laughs> is allowed to ignore the evidence if a ghost told them to. Apparently, that was an open question in our court system. And if that sounds fucking stupid, that's because it is. Mm -hmm. But it turns out the ghost in question was super credible this time. It was Christian God. After a member of the jury told the rest of the panel that God said not guilty and the judge heard about it, that juror was thrown out. And the new jury found the defendant guilty. But that got appealed all the way up to the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals, and they decided in a 7-4 to four ruling last week what? that you have to let members of the jury ignore evidence and decide based on sincerely held ghost talking. For real, this happened. What? So the whole trial got nullified, and it's an official do-over because of that 7-4 decision. Okay, Christ. this is baffling. Think about how many adults who genuinely, in no uncertain terms, are aware that there is no God, had to pretend that there is judges, federal judges. Yeah. They still get to use the word judge after this. Oh, yeah. what do you do? <laughs> I'm a judge. They still do. Our, our justice system is so fucked that at this point, the judges are pleading insanity. <laughs> so the original trial found former Congresswoman Corinne Brown 
guilty on multiple counts of filing false tax returns, mail fraud, and wire fraud, mostly because of the very obvious digital trail and paper trail of definitely doing all that stuff. Mm. But right before deliberation was about to start, juror number 13 said, all right, guys, put away all your nerd evidence. Boo, nerd. A higher being told me not guilty on all charges. I trust the Holy Ghost. And that's when juror number eight told the judge, who then had to go through a ridiculous process to disqualify the crazy person. And by ridiculous, I mean any process beyond yeah. <laughs> the ghost talkers out gavel. We're right. done here with that guy. The judge met with both attorneys and let him argue it out as if there was an argument here. The defense attorney claimed that religious people, they do stupid shit like that all the time. <laughs> and the judge was like, oh, you're done? That was your argument? Okay, let's hear from the prosecution. And the prosecution explained that it would be literally impossible for any piece of real reality evidence to be more important than a conversation between a crazy person and the God of the universe. Hey, defense guy, what if God had told him that she was guilty? What precedent could this possibly set that you right. want to have set? Well, even be even better, make it black. Or, or in this case, make it white, right? So, right. like, what if the yeah. juror said, don't worry, guys, I talked to the ghost of George Wallace, and he assured me that the defendant <laughs> is too white to be a criminal. Because that's exactly <laughs> what we're talking about. Yep. Right? We're talking about a Christian deciding on their own that a fellow Christian couldn't be guilty and assigning that opinion to God and a court protecting that. Mm, yep. That's, that's the law. what really, really happened. Wow. So, after hearing that absurd argument, the judge checked with juror 13, who said, yep, I literally spoke to literal God directly, not guilty. Literally what I'm saying. Yes, I said that. So that juror got dismissed. And apparently that was not a valid dismissal. Here's the reasoning from the 11th Circuit. Writing for the majority was Judge William Pryor, appointed by George W., not surprising. And Pryor argued that this could lead to all religious people getting banned from juries. What? Uh, apparently oh, that would be a problem. Me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess that would be a problem. Also, no the fuck it would. Right, it yeah, would not exactly. lead to that. Most religious people, first of all, are liars, or they don't mention their hallucinations out loud, so it wouldn't happen that way. But also, we just wouldn't do that. But according to Pryor, quote, members of some religious groups are more likely than others to report two-way communication with God. That's what communication means. <laughs> may not conclude that their vernacular alone disqualifies them from jury service. And the dissenting opinion was amazing. It was like, yeah, we weren't. We were really focused on the vernacular. That was a weird thing for you to say. Uh, regardless of the ghost-talking patois, it was more about the entire concept of the legal system getting thrown out the window by the majority just now. Okay. But even in his own opinion, he gives away the game, right? Because what Pryor means is, oh, they just say they talk to God. They don't actually talk to God. But you got to let them say it. Why? Right. <laughs> Why would you have to do that? Is there anyone else involved in the legal process you would allow to incorporate linguistic omniscience? <laughs> <laughs> oh, fair enough. Read that back to me. No need, Your Honor. Baphomet will whisper it into my ear. <laughs> We're going to find out that corporations are demons, too, and you get the, the rights of demons. I don't know. Something's going to happen. Yeah. So, again, I just, 
this was real. This really happened. We talked about this story a couple months ago, and I believe Eli ended the story with like, okay, but you know, that's it's gonna they're they're appealing it, but that's not gonna work. It worked. It worked. It worked. Yeah. So that was fun. I'm gonna talk about this all the time. I'm never gonna be able to stop talking about Ridiculous. this. Ridiculous. A federal court just ruled that religion gets an evidence exemption on a jury. An evidence exemption in court. That happened. Even after my extremely relevant amicus brief that explained how I checked with God and he said he never met juror number 13. <laughs> so, I'm pretty sure I just got persecuted yeah, too. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you could yeah. appeal now to the 11th Circuit. I don't, I'm not sure. And in turn the other cheek book news, you know, as dark as the last year has been, even grumps like us here at the Scathing Atheist have to admit that more and more light seems to be peeking its way through the trees. Vaccination numbers in the U.S. are going up. Families are seeing each other again. And it's possible to make it entire weeks without seeing something Donald Trump has said or did. Thanks, in large part, to his complete and total ban from all social media platforms. <laughs> well, not all. He still managed to go on, I, I guess, frankspeech.com <laughs> or whatever, to explain that the winning horse at the Kentucky Derby is, quote, a junkie. <laughs> yes. He thinks a horse is addicted as if to heroin to an anti-inflammatory corticosteroid, which, which is just like America stealing the mm -hmm. election. That's a real thing he said. Guys, he's such a loser at this point that he like, just inherently sympathizes with all other losers, even if they're horses. I, I'm, I'm almost as delighted by that as I am by the fact that he hasn't realized that yet. Yes. Well, this week, Trump's ban on Facebook was upheld by their oversight committee. And as you can imagine, this was a chance for Christians to lose their minds about this all over again. And nobody managed it better this week than Shane Vaughn of Mississippi's First Harvest Ministries, who regular listeners will remember for trying to give credit to Donald Trump for the latest COVID relief bill and for looking like he got fired from his job as an extra on The Sopranos for doing fuck stuff to Crafty. <laughs> okay. I looked this guy up. I have never been more certain that a person calls a bagel Jew bread. Absolutely. <laughs> Probably while he's putting his dick in the hole at Crafty as an extra, extra yep. on The Sopranos, like Eli said. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say it. It's weird that you have a scale like that for him to top, but it's uh, <laughs> useful. Anyway, here's what Shane had to say about Trump's extended Facebook ban. Quote, and this is how he talks, so bear with me. Hey, they made the same mistake that Satan made when he killed Jesus Christ. By killing that one man and killing his voice, he created a world full of little Christians that echo the message of Christ. See? Stupid on the devil's part. <laughs> wow, that's dumb. Yeah, who can forget Christ's final words as he hung there, brutalized to the cusp of death upon the cross. Ha, gotcha, dumbass. <laughs> Face, I'm dead. <laughs> he continues, hey, the Bible says that had Satan known what was going to happen, he would never have crucified Jesus Christ, because what he did was he started a harvest of Christians that echo the message. He had only one man to deal with. Now he's got a whole population full of us. Same thing we're doing with Trump. Let them crucify him. Seconded. <laughs> but now we're the echo, and we're going to put it on every page, every Twitter account, everything we got, because the oversight board didn't rule that we couldn't share Trump content. It's allowed on Facebook. 
for now anyway. So take advantage of it while we can. Hey. But, but it's not, though, right? Like The fact that he was saying the shit that you weren't allowed to say is why he got banned. <laughs> but no, Shane, run with that. Run with that, man. Yeah. And Shane, obviously having a normal, sane reaction to Trump not being on Facebook anymore. That said, Shane... If your metaphor holds, buddy, you're about to be psyched when you find out what the DA of the Southern District of New York is up to, man. <laughs> you're going to fucking love it. Also, Shane, if you really want to pwn us, maybe just crucify yourself. Yeah. Oh. Right in our face. You won't let me crucify you. Everybody would follow you. We're in the same state, Shane. You'd harvest more people like yourself. Yeah, probably. No, he's not. We're not. He's in Mississippi. I just gave him that voice. He does look like that voice. He does look like that voice. We should be in the same state. I'm sorry, dumb guy with a southern accent is overdone. Thank you. And in filthy monkey women news, Jane Goodall Fantastic. is the winner of this year's Templeton Prize for being an outstanding scientist who's willing to pretend religion kind of matters a little bit. Or in their words, she harnesses the power of science to questions about the universe and humanity's purpose. So... Obviously, especially if you know about the Templeton Foundation, obviously their prize is fucking stupid. Yeah. But it went to a real scientist, so that's good, I guess. And here's the best part. <laughs> Christian fundamentalists are freaking out because good all only medium pretends they matter. And they need her to pretend way fucking harder with very specific Christian words. Right. Yeah, you'd think with all the screeching and beating of chests, she'd know how to handle herself better in this situation. Yeah, right, right. So I just, I gotta be clear on this. Jane Goodall just barely qualifies as a scientist and she's only famous because like the media loved how unscientific she was about her science. She anthropomorphized her subjects. She interfered with them as she observed them. And one of her books was pulled before publication because it was found to have blatantly plagiarized a dozen plus sources, including Wikipedia and a shitty astrology blog. <laughs> astrology blog? Yeah. Yikes. Problematic as all fuck. She also made up a bunch of shit that the monkeys didn't do, which is well, every reason to believe that as well. Okay, <laughs> maybe she does belong in the Templeton she, she, Foundation prize More than list. you might yeah. have thought, yeah. Everybody after her was like, I've never seen the monkeys do that. And she was like, well, they did it for me, okay? They fucking did it for me. <laughs> when the, You know, when you guys aren't around, they, he, he gets up and he sings. He says, hello, my baby. Hello, my honey. It's just the whole thing. He does a, a dance. Okay. It's, she's got not the best backstory, I just learned. I, I thought she was cool. Super cool until just now. Anyway. Okay. Noah ruined Coco for me. So. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> So, in case anyone is not familiar with the Templeton Foundation, their stated goal is to fund research into the intersection of religion and science. So, nothing. Yeah. They do not <laughs> right. have their yeah. goal is to do something that does not exist. If those things ever intersect, it's because religion guessed something right. And mm -hmm. if that ever happens, science will fucking let us know. And they'll use science to find that out. But... The Templeton people are so desperate to find something, they pay for all these big studies, and, and they keep failing just so many times. So many times. My favorite example is when they funded a three-year-long study on the therapeutic effects of praying for people getting heart surgery. And the study found that for patients who didn't know about the praying, it helped exactly zero. Yep. No help. Yeah. But the patients who did know about the praying... We're not quite so lucky as getting <laughs> zero help. 
for the people who knew about the praying, it actually led to a spike in the rate of post-surgical arrhythmia. It cost about $2.4 million to figure that out. If you want to pray for people, just make sure you shut the fuck up about it or they might get arrhythmia. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, now that's a t-shirt I would buy. Yeah, See, right. I would buy that. <laughs> so apparently Goodall was raised Christian, but now she describes herself as spiritual instead of religious. Yuck, well, boo. The Temple Foundation, <laughs> they can't buy a bucket. So they were like, mine, ours, <laughs> yeah. that's science, plus our thing, this counts, right. we're taking Jane Goodall. But the intelligent designers at the Discovery <laughs> Institute are not having it. In a recent article on their site called Go Fuck Yourself, it's called Evolution News, they explain that Goodall talks about a life force that imbues the world with energy. But uh, vague magic is for hippies and Methodists, and they were pissed. And this is apparently their argument. Quote, Goodall dismisses her simplistic childhood view that our species is elevated onto a pinnacle, separate from all the others. Okay, um, <laughs> quick quick pause here. It's very confusing. But yes, they are arguing in favor of a simplistic childhood view Okay, there. that's okay. what I heard. <laughs> yeah, thanks for the clarification. I, I looked at this for a while. That's the only thing I can think of. I'm pretty sure they yep. were like, no, it's simplistic and childish, you assholes. Yes, it is. <laughs> Continuing, it can easily be shown how this life force theory pales in comparison with the explanatory power of traditional theism. Well, quote. <laughs> that's the opposite of tr the vaguer you are about your sky wizard, the less wrong you are. <laughs> well, right. So, but, okay. The, but he didn't say anything about right. Like their view does have more explanatory power, right? Oh, it's just, you know what? That's fair. That's true. <laughs> right? It's like, it's like yeah. if you're trying to decide if you should build your house out of jello molds or bricks of C4, you hey, know? Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, yeah, you got to love a good idiot fight. The intelligent design people are mad at the prayer-based cardiology people because Jane Goodall doesn't specifically say that humans are magically special meat puppets for Jesus only, just Jesus, <laughs> fuck you. And in Survey Says News, more Christians should listen to this podcast. And I'm not just saying that because iTunes recently got rid of the other category in the religious section where we were consistently in the top five. Higher if you didn't count Oh No with Ross and Carrie because they don't even okay. go here. Eli. What? It's, oh, we talked to a cult. Tell me there's no God. Cowards. For, Cowards. For, uh, for the record, Ross and Carrie seem like lovely people and they have a lovely show. Please ignore my co-host. Yes, whatever. Thank you. Fine. Two votes what Noah said. Cowards. Christians should listen to our podcast because if they did, they'd hear just how great it's going for them, right? They get extra rights. There's less rights for other people. And apparently they need to hear that because according to an informal survey done by D. James Kennedy Ministries last week, they are very sure that they are very, very persecuted. Okay, but I just did two informal surveys that say yep. no they're not are they're, we done I, I just, we're actually participated winning. Yeah. in two informal surveys <laughs> that seem to suggest the same thing boom three more <laughs> it's, five, it's five to one now. outvoted yeah so they surveyed around 1900 christians and the results like the respondents were fucking crazy <laughs> beautiful i could go through this whole thing okay in response to the question quote 
Are you concerned about Americans who have been taken to court or charged with hate crimes because of their conscientious objections to homosexual marriage, in scare quotes, 99% said yes. <laughs> oh my God, fuck your faces. One so said no, and 1% were undecided or didn't yep, answer. Right, yep. 99 said yes, one said no, one undecided. <laughs> yep. Yes. I guess that's the advantage of an informal survey. You get to have more percents than anyone else. <laughs> that's key. That's key. Wait, so 99% of informal Christians are scared of a thing that doesn't exist. Okay, you know what? That seems low. Now that I say yeah. it out loud, that seems low. Well, hey, speaking of things that don't exist, in response to the question, should students have the right to pray in public school classrooms at sporting events and graduation ceremonies, 97% said yes. One percent said no. What? And two percent were undecided. And or didn't answer. One hundred percent of people were able to pray anywhere the fuck they want. I because just, obviously <laughs> you can do that wherever the fuck that, you want. That one percent who said no is a baffling group of human right. beings. <laughs> They're blocking thoughts. What does that even mean? Hey, look, I'm Christian, but I don't know about all this praying bullshit. Stop it. Just side tackling people. Stop praying. <laughs> But it gets better. In response to the question, have you experienced verbal or physical abuse or bias because of your faith in Jesus Christ or for your conservative Christian views? 96% said yes. <laughs> All right, well, so maybe they're already listening to this show. We don't know. <laughs> okay. okay, I'm fine with the verbal and bias part for sure. <laughs> yeah, okay. The whole survey is such an amazing box of crazy. They had a check the box, which of these pose a serious threat to the United States question on the survey. 87% mm -hmm. said China. Sure. 42% said Russia. 73% <laughs> said the United Nations. Uh -huh. And 81% and said socialism. Oh, okay. worse even than the UN? <laughs> Sorry. The United Nations? Right. The United Nations is the kid feebly shouting, guys, wait up, of organizations. <laughs> That's them. Yeah. They're nothing. 31% more dangerous than Russia. I wish they had power. They do not. They, yeah. Right. Okay. One last thing on that socialism thing. Seriously, I could go through this entire survey so many times. But when asked, quote, should schools be required to teach students the truth about the history of socialism and its damaging impact on the world, 100% of respondents <laughs> said yes. So, wow. obviously, the funniest part of the story, we'll link to it in the show notes, is the press release that breathlessly reports this as though asking Larry, his cousins, and their wives was an actual survey. That's like, <laughs> this is up 31% from last year. <laughs> hey, I just did an informal survey. 0% of those people could define socialism, just for the record. <laughs> And in putting the lock back in caps lock news tonight. It's always <laughs> interesting when one of our scathing regulars seeps out into the larger world and the average American comes face to face with the festering insanity that is modern evangelical Christianity. And this is our lives. You yeah, all have to participate. Right. <laughs> exactly. Well, that happened again when CNN ran a piece about the fucking sapient hate crime that is Greg Locke and the death toll from his COVID denialism on last Friday's Anderson Cooper 360. Specifically, reporter L. Reeve interviewed family members of a member of his church who died of COVID after accepting Locke's bullshit conspiracy theories. 
Yeah, I mean, look, anytime more people in the world hate Greg Locke, I'm for it. But I also kind of feel possessive, right? It's like, yeah, I, I was uh-huh. here first. Do, does, <laughs> does El Reeve even know his crazy two medium coffees with eight million sugars coffee? Yeah, she, you don't even go here, El Reeve. You don't even go here. <laughs> so. All right, so now the victim here is a guy named uh, Coburn Kennedy. Coburn Kennedy. So I like I shouldn't be making jokes, but come on. Like okay, so I'm assuming it was Colonel Mustard with the revolver in yeah, the billiard room with a name like that. Coburn. Yeah. If your yeah. name's Coburn Kennedy, you can't go into billiard rooms if there's a colonel there. Right. Well, exactly. No. Exactly. So now he was a member of Locke's church that bought into Locke's repeated claims that the virus wasn't dangerous, that the pandemic wasn't a pandemic, and that the vaccine was somehow both sugar water and contained aborted fetuses. Ah, what? so that makes it a fetus smoothie. Well, actually, yeah, right, right. Uh-huh. That is a complex syrup. Right? <laughs> <laughs> now, one of his nephews showed a family group chat where Kennedy parroted Locke's claims that the vaccines were both immoral and unnecessary. So needless to say, when the extremely at-risk elderly man got COVID, he didn't bother seeing a doctor about it until it was so advanced there was little that could be done for him. He died shortly thereafter. Uh, Several members of his family rightly blame Locke, and more urgently, several members of his family still don't and still go to the fucking church of negligent manslaughter. Yeah, and that's a generous deal for the name yeah. of that church, by the yeah. way. They had to plea that down. To the, to <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. Well, you know, the Supreme Court ruled last week that they're allowed to use loaded shotguns as communion wafers, so what are you going to do, right, yep. when there's nothing? Yeah. Now, so Locke, of course, has been in damage control mode since several days before the piece aired, actually. Apparently, he was scheduled to do an interview with the CNN reporter, but he canceled at the last second because, you know, either... Uh, Jesus's ghost warned him that CNN was trying to set him up by broadcasting the answers that he was going to give to their questions <laughs> or the things he said. Yeah, right. Yeah. Or somebody in his circle realized that the focus of the story was going to be on one of the people that he killed with his stupid. But since video of Greg Locke being homicidally stupid isn't exactly hard to come by, they just used clips they already had, like the one of him getting all the way flummoxed by questions like, okay, then what is a pandemic? Okay. <laughs> Noah's not exaggerating there. Just a reminder, that's a real question that stumped completely Greg Locke. Yep. His answer was, I'm 44 years old. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> a pandemic. That was yeah. the explanatory part. Right. And, and then his manager <laughs> side-tackled the reporter and was like, you didn't say there would be questions. Right, yeah. Do you think they go to someone like Hemet when they're doing research for this story? And he's just like, what video do you want first? I got so much. (laughs) I've never gotten a call and I'm offended. So, okay. So, look, the story is tragic. Of course, she interviews a couple members of the family that are obviously none too bright and buying into everything that Locke is selling about the dangers of the vaccine and the safety of COVID, even after watching their relative die from it. But there are some silver linings to, to tease out of this one. Those people will be dead soon, too. Okay, I wasn't going to mention that one. So the the first is that the mainstream media is ramping up their coverage of the continued existential threat that evangelicals pose during this pandemic. And the second is that they've scared Locke into hiding. So not only did he cancel the interview, but he hasn't publicly reacted to the now five-day-old segment at all. Mm. And, And that may indicate that Greg Locke is starting to realize that everything he says is dumber than the last thing, and most people can tell. But look, whether it's motivated by self-preservation or genuine remorse, anything that shuts up Greg Locke is worth celebrating. Oh, what's up, bunker boy? Nothing to say now? <laughs> you scared? 
still invited on the show, Greg. No, you're not. You got Greg. somebody going to Duncan for you? It's going to be a very <laughs> legitimate debate. <laughs> Greg. And in the Rod to Perdition news, regular listeners to our show might remember a few months ago when Heath introduced us to an exciting new machine gun wielding MAGA loving cult known as the Rod of Iron Ministries. And it sounds like we're going to be hearing from them quite a bit more because we learned from Vice News this week that they have purchased themselves a $1 million compound in Texas for their, quote, coming war with the deep state. Oh, what could go wrong? (laughs) Yeah, that's every real estate person in Texas now dealing with this, being like, yeah, so Kitchen Island, a cute little breakfast nook right there. A great turrets for the war with the deep state. Of course, <laughs> yeah, right, right there. Yeah, right. Everybody in Texas. Okay, I just want to point out that for really regular listeners, you might also remember these Rod of Iron Ministry guys from as far back as episode 263. But like, this is not the first time I've come to suspect Eli's not listening when I talk. But that's fine. That's fine. You said it, Heath. Couple, you said it. So the leader of the group, Kyung <laughs> Jin Sean Moon, is the son of Sun Myung Moon, the founder of the right-wing Unification Church and creator of the right-wing Washington Times newspaper. He's become increasingly violent in his sermons, saying in a recent one, quote, the internationalist Marxist globalists are trying to what? start a civil war here. <laughs> yeah, we need more nationalist globalists. Well, yeah. <laughs> so what the fuck does that mean? Internationalist globalists? <laughs> they want to bring in the UN troops and the Chai Com Chinese military to come in and destroy and kill all gun owners, Christians, and any opposition, i.e. Trump supporters. End quote. And only Mike Norris can stop them. Sorry, are we not in a movie trailer? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I thought you were doing a movie trailer. Okay, so but for realsies, if the plan is to kill all the gun owners and your plan is to tell people to get guns, aren't you an accomplice now? Like yeah. some, in Ooh, some way? Ooh, double agent. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> Later on, he said, quote, It's obviously better if we can use our rights to freedom of speech, assembly, to seek redress of grievance. Otherwise, we'll have to fight physically, with many dying, end quote. No, no. I feel like you guys could take the U.S. military augmented by the U.N. troops and the Chinese <laughs> army, though. This, no, that's a good threat. You, you yeah, just, you got her. You, you got, got those turrets. You got the breakfast. No, <laughs> risk, it's all about the risk kitchen control. Island. <laughs> you got to get in their guard. It's like a bear. <laughs> it's also worth noting that this past October, Sean created his own constitution and declared himself... King of the kingship of the kingdom of God. Okay. Wait, what? Okay. Sean Il Gook. Kingpin, King Fisher. That's bird. <laughs> Just the first three. King, King of the kingship. <laughs> oh, so yeah, that group, they now have a $1 million compound. Uh, coincidentally, 40 miles from Waco. Is that a coincidence? Where they're planning for a war with Santa Claus. Sorry, the deep state. Yeah, right, yeah. War with the, in an Instagram live video posted last week wearing a crown of bullets and sitting behind a gold plated machine gun. What? Sean said, quote, sorry, just you're you're wearing a crown of bullets and they're going to say something out loud. Everybody just needs to remember that context. (laughs) Everything you say now. That's the need context. to picture it. Really, check the link in the show notes because it's uh, it's a lot. Oh, like, I feel really like this say. story's just not going to age well. Us laughing it up about this shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you have to start every quote if you're wearing a bullet crown with "I'm wearing a bullet crown," <laughs> yep. and now I have something. To and say. you have to end it with it. Yeah, absolutely. Quote: America. I'm is, wearing a bullet crown. Yeah, yeah, I'm wearing a bullet crown. Quote: 
America is ex- existentially at a crisis right now. We have left God. We've become part of this licentious, decrepit, degraded moral culture. We have strayed from God's principles. That will bring a country to destruction, and God will allow it to be judged, just like he did with the Israelites, I'm wearing a crown of bullets, end quote. <laughs> and, you know, it's worth remembering that armed militants with imaginary enemies usually end up finding real people to kill anyway. So. Yeah, sure do. They do. So, yeah. That seems like it's going to turn out awesome. Right. Uh, we'll let you know with further updates as they arrive and hopefully without a body count. Yeah. God, where's Janet Reno when you need her? Next up in headlines. In a shocking turn of events, we have some delightful news about a prayer group. Huh. huh. Yeah. And it all started on January 6th. Uh, actually, that's not quite right. It all started when America turned into political hot garbage. Sure. So... That was like uh, 1776. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And then it festered. And then Christianity merged with the far right around 1980, just like the atheist community did recently. Same thing. That's Uh exactly the same. (laughs) And then Trump lost to Biden. And then we got the Capitol riot. That included a man named Glenn Allen Brooks of Huntington Beach, California, who managed to avoid prosecution until now. And that's because... He got on the text thread with his prayer group and bragged about the sweet, sweet riot he was part of on that thread. Jesus Christ. And, you know, that's uh, terrorism. Mm -hmm. So somebody told the FBI. Yeah. I mean, yeah, not to throw cold water on the feel-good story, but it it took the FBI seven months to find a guy dumb enough to brag about his terrorism on the prayer group text thread. So there's also (laughs) that. Okay, awful judgy for a man who's in several Facebook threads with me, no illusion. Okay, yeah, well, all right, withdrawn, withdrawn. <laughs> delete some stuff. So this might have been a bit more difficult for the FBI if Glenn Brooks wasn't just way too stupid to be alive. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it would be way harder. <laughs> yeah, he admitted to a federal crime on the digital record, but I'm assuming he was using his Clandroid Freedom Phone, mm-hmm. which is unhackable, but... <laughs> Here's the thing lots of people don't realize about phones. Phone communication, it usually involves one or more other people with right, phones. Right, yeah. Uh-huh. It's tricky. Also, he included photographs, some of which showed a bunch of other people at the riot, and those people are also <laughs> being investigated now. Good. And he included a literal selfie, smiling like an idiot with a room of very clearly the Capitol building in the background. Jesus Christ. And for the talent portion of my confession, what the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, say what you will about the 9-11 hijackers, but at least we didn't have to introduce their selfies into evidence. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> and here's my favorite part. This guy probably never gets caught without directly providing the evidence himself. And that's because he looks like an angry carpenter gnome with a goatee. And at the Capitol riot, that's a that's like a Where's Waldo situation yeah. but with no Waldo. That's everyone at the Capitol riot. It's a bunch <laughs> of angry carpenter gnomes. Even in his selfie, he almost disappears because right behind him, there's like 50 other angry carpenter gnomes with goatees and MAGA hats. Yep. Literally also taking <laughs> proud selfies to document their felony terrorism. Mm-hmm. So, bottom line... The FBI needs to start making prayer groups. These people are super dumb. Yeah. Easy to catch. And in Who You Gonna Call, 
and ambulance news. <laughs> yep. Ghost hunting. Oh, God. A multi-million dollar industry based on walking around places looking for nothing. It's often illegal and irresponsible way to deal with both grief and mental health. And sometimes it's just plain dangerous. As turned out to be the case this week when an amateur ghost hunter plunged 20 feet through the roof of Buffalo, New York's abandoned central terminal to the concrete oh. below. Oh, Jesus. Womp womp. But it, it doesn't even make sense. Why would a ghost want to haunt an empty, abandoned building? That's just boring, right? I don't why you'd even look there. Right. And, and, but, and no fair dying and leaving your ghost there, lady. That doesn't count. That's like a fucking Sasquatch hunter making their own tracks. Yeah, exactly. Now, <laughs> illegitimate. Podcast listener, before you worry that you're not allowed to laugh at this story, every news outlet I read assures me that this person is alive and well and therefore... Wide open for our mockery, because people, if we can't make fun of those who essentially fall down a manhole looking for Bigfoot, there is no comedy left. We're out of comedy. I appreciate what you're doing there, but, like, how badly injured would this person need to be for me to not make fun of this? Like, I don't... There's no answer in my head. I don't have a line. Like, am I a bad person because I don't have a line for that? Don't look at me. I think it was funnier if she was dead. Okay, right. there's so a lot of bits. I feel like the the only way to know the right answer here is for more ghost hunters to injure themselves in increasingly <laughs> gruesome ways. That's a great. We need big data right. on that. Exactly. Call to action. <laughs> yeah. So no. I bring up this story. <laughs> I bring up this story for a couple of reasons. First of all. I wanted to make fun of this person right. because they fell through a roof while ghost hunting. Come on, people, this is gold. But also because a lot of the time when skeptics talk about bullshit like ghost hunting. I bet she felt funny. She so <laughs> funny. <laughs> and you know that when she started to fall, she was like, a ghost. <laughs> it's happening. <laughs> Whap. Nope. Nope, just fell. Ow. Call real doctor. <laughs> Call all the grown-ups our pretend thing hurted me. <laughs> but and again, so that's hilarious. We need to talk about that. But also, whenever skeptics talk about bullshit like ghost hunting, we get treated like grumpy spoil sports. Yes. And it's worth pointing out that, like, taking advantage of the grieving and the mentally ill aside, and we really shouldn't put those things aside, this shit's fucking dangerous, right? Ghost hunting, by its very nature, often involves sneaking around abandoned buildings in the fucking dark with people pre-selected for stupidity. <laughs> right. So, once again, just a reminder, in what possibly encapsulates the theme of our podcast, the answer to where's the harm is everywhere. Yep. All the time, everywhere. Yeah. Blank hunting. It's almost always bad. There's always like, bad. You know. Metaphorical way. Ghost hunter hunting, as we just recommended. Yeah. Good. <laughs> Truffles? I don't know. Yeah, no, there you go. And in parole with the punches news tonight. <laughs> Thank you. You wouldn't think the First Amendment is still allowed to count would be the kind of thing we needed a court to adjudicate, let alone an appellate court. But holy shit, if that didn't have to happen last week, because apparently that much wasn't clear to a lower court tasked with deciding whether a parolee can be legally required to attend religious services, like as a condition of their parole. And they didn't get this wrong in a decided the case incorrectly kind of way, but rather in a dismissed the case because they didn't think being literally sent to jail for failing to attend Bible study was the kind of thing you could sue over way. Okay. Uh, I got it. New Patreon goal. 
we start some atheist-only jails where we teach atheists. And the First Amendment's back. Weird. Look, look at that. <laughs> weird that. So crazy. Oh, I'm glad. Because atheist jail actually already exists. It's called Quillette Magazine. It's um, <laughs> cruel and unusual. So this is the story of one Mark Janney, a Colorado man who was released from jail in 2015 on the condition that he lived at a Christian homeless shelter in Fort Collins, Colorado. Now, to be clear, Janney did have a place to stay. He had family friends willing to put him up, so he was not homeless. Also, he was not Christian. Jenny made it clear to his parole officer that he was an atheist, but despite that, he was ordered to both live at the Christian mission and attend religious services while he did. Oh, that's uh, illegal. Well, you, you think, yeah. So he moved into the shelter, but he refused to participate in religious activities, and because of that, his parole was revoked, and he spent another five months in jail. What the fuck? Oh, that is terrible. And, hey... I definitely admire Mark's commitment, but, but for the record, everybody, you have permission to fake it. You don't have to. It's just okay. five months seems like a long time. <laughs> no <for> idea. <laughs> so, but here's the thing: I would do a lot more than five months in jail for what I would do if I was made to sit through a Bible study, right? So, like, I no, this is the <laughs> lesser of two sentences. You could have changed their minds. <laughs> you know what, Mark? We don't want you in Bible study <laughs> right, anymore. Yeah, exactly. Now, needless to say, Janney sued, but in 2015, his case was dismissed by a district court. Now, in the court's defense, Janney elected to represent himself in this instance, so no doubt there were reasons for the dismissal beyond, nah, you should have gone to Bible study. But still, the motherfucker was literally in jail for refusing to praise Jesus. Right, so short of taking a shit on the judge's bench and calling it Exhibit A, I don't feel like you could have fucked up bad enough to earn a dismissal. And six years later, and now that the ACLU and Americans United for Separation of Church and State are involved, the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals has affirmed my hunch and kind of smacked down the weak-ass excuses the lower court gave for their dismissal in the first place. Also, just for the record, this was a two-to-one ruling. Yeah. And the dissent from Judge Carson accidentally explained exactly how stupid it was for the lower court and himself to get this wrong. Carson said, the majority makes it so religious nonprofits now have two options. One, they can stop requiring religious programming. Or two, there doesn't need to be two. Or two, <laughs> they can stop accepting parolees. And yes, yeah. the answer is one. Mm -hmm. It was one. We all knew it was one. They can help people without a religion bribe involved. Right. right. Or stop helping people with a religion threat. This isn't tricky. People. No. Or if they're unwilling to do that, two, right? They could just stop having people sentenced to be part of their fucking thing. Yeah. Both of those are good options. But either is fine. Yeah. Now, to be clear... This is a win in the ever so slightest sense of the word, right? Like it was a bar like they barely got this goddamn decision. All we've established is that Janney is allowed to sue. He still hasn't won. And even if he does, the dude already spent five months in jail over this shit. The court can't give him five months of extra life after he dies. And beyond all that, the very fact that any court could say anything but guilty in a lawsuit where a dude was literally forced to be Christian as a condition of his parole is a big enough loss to cancel this shit out. But still... You should just be allowed to be like... Shibboleth, am I out? Good, right. great. <laughs> but still, we may yet be found to technically have rights in the U.S. judicial system, and after the last four years, we're going to chalk that up in the win column, apparently. Oh, that's a sadly big win, yeah. They should have to weekend at Bernie's him for five months after he's dead. Walk <laughs> <laughs> him around. And into Bleach's own news tonight. Mark Grennan 
just cannot <laughs> stop himself from feeding done. people industrial bleach. His job. Yep. Regular listeners will recognize the name. Uh, Grennan is the Archbishop of the Genesis 2 Church of fucking bleach and bullshit. It's, by Grennan's own admission, a designation to avoid government oversight, and that's it. And he's made it into this segment and our latest book by repeatedly selling bleach as a magical cure-all. When his church was raided and all his products were destroyed, he kept selling medicinal bleach. When two of his sons were arrested and he had to flee to South America, he kept selling medicinal bleach. And now, as he sits in a jail cell in Bogota, Colombia, awaiting extradition to the U.S. for selling medicinal bleach, he's still selling medicinal bleach. What the fuck is happening? I gotta say, though, if there's anyone who can get those whites whiter, it's Mark Grennan, right? Yeah, if you're ever having a hard time explaining how the idea of religious freedom has dangerous overreach in the United States to someone, Mark Grennan is a great place to start, people. (laughs) There you go. Great example. So, yeah, we learned this from The Guardian last week. In a phone call overheard by their reporters, he admitted that he was distributing his medicinal bleach to at least 75 of his fellow prisoners for ailments ranging from gastritis to diabetes. In the same call, he says he's obtaining the necessary chemicals through secret channels within the jail, adding, quote, what? you can't get it on the outside, but we got it on the inside. He's got a quote. bleach guy? Yep. Yeah, and, and apparently what? he's using the same clandestine phone he used to make that call to post all kinds of pro-bleach drinking bullshit on social media, along with videos urging people not to get vaccinated. Okay, <laughs> just for the record, the mules... That he's apparently paying to smuggle ass bleach into that jail are doing something way safer than his actual recommended use yes. of putting his product <laughs> in your ass to bleach away COVID and autism. Yep. Balloon pops and all of a sudden someone's just not COVID anymore. Damn it all. Right, but the balloon Pie doesn't always supply. pop. It's safer. <laughs> just some guy walks up to him. What are you in for? Murder. How about you? Oh, I started a church so I could legally tell people to drink bleach. Get this monster away from me! Yeah, right. And, and look, I'd love to think that don't drink bleach would be an easy message to sell, but the FDA has had to issue several increasingly stern warnings against Grennan's panacea. Their most recent one describes the product as, quote, powerful bleach typically used for industrial water treatment or bleaching textiles, pulp, and paper, end quote. And in case it wasn't clear from that description, it's also potentially deadly if ingested. But none of that stops Grennan from telling the parents of a six-year-old, for example, quote, children do pretty good. Give the child two or three drops every couple of hours, end quote. (sighs) You know, this whole problem would work itself out if we could just get the guy on camera and ask him to take some of the medicine he sells to other people. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, if he actually took it. do it. Yeah. Solved itself. Of course, I'm not sure what outcome to root for here since the motherfucker's already in jail and he's still doing this shit. I'm not sure if that underwater prison from Captain America 3 is based on a real thing. But if not, (laughs) we might want to get to work on it is all I'm saying. Step ahead of you. No bleach in the supply closets, people. This is how it happens. (laughs) Eli, you got an underwater prison guy, right? I do have an underwater (laughs) prison guy. It's true. Perfect. Chew. And in Lock Him Up News... Greg Locke, Anna. (laughs) That's right. Greg Locke said words. In particular, he is not happy 
with all these liberal cuck politicians like Tennessee Republican Governor Bill Lee. Right? <laughs> so Greg Locke went all the way off the rails during a sermon last week after Governor Lee signed an executive order to have the National Guard round up all the unvaccinated people and lock them in prison camps. Also, Greg Locke cannot read. He's right. not a reader. So none of that actually <laughs> happened. But we did get a freak out. Okay. Greg Locke is a Christian freakout, right? Like Anna's jingle might as well be his alarm clock tone. <laughs> I'm just weirded out that Greg Locke and I had the same fantasy this week. Right. It feels <laughs> we should do that. Yeah. So just to be clear, the new executive order from Governor Lee, it's just some basic preparation in case the people of Tennessee are idiots who won't get a vaccine and it leads to another overwhelming spike in COVID cases. And by just in case, I mean that is happening. Yep, it's happening, happening right now. We're all watching it. So Governor Lee is setting up a system to quickly build temporary medical facilities if needed. That bastard. <laughs> yeah. Again, for people who read, that was clear from the words in the order by reading them yep. with your face. But that's not Greg Locke. Here's the response. And just for us, he started his freak out with a string of... <laughs> Panicky white guy from Tennessee-isms. <laughs> Quote, do you see this nonsense our governor signed? I don't care how much he talks about Jesus. Bill Lee is a coward. You tell him I said so. He's a noodle. What? He's a waffler. Willy-nilly nonsense. <laughs> and then maybe, I don't know, it probably like new new syllables I haven't heard of, Fratson, but that was what they wrote. Fratson in there. So <laughs> yeah. motherfucker has no caption guy didn't know what to do after that. About <laughs> lying people to death, but he can't say motherfucker because that's immoral. Jeez, what the hell is wrong <laughs> guys, with these people? Guys, I bet with the right fake Twitter account and a couple of phone calls, we could convince Greg Locke he's going to fight Bill Lee outside the state house by Friday. <laughs> we could do that by Friday. <laughs> and, uh, come on. Pussy. Locke also pointed out that <laughs> all the overflowing hospitals are actually a hoax. Either they're full of crisis actors uh, on fake ventilators, I guess, or all those hospitals are secretly empty. At one point he said, why don't you carry camera sick in one of these hospitals? <laughs> Warning, we haven't gotten any less vulgar since last week. This week's episode of The Scathing Atheist is brought to you by Adam and Eve, HelloFresh, ZipRecruiter, and by the recuperative powers of vacation. Vacation, because capitalism hasn't found a way to stomp that out entirely yet. And now, The Scathing Atheist. Hi, this is Jennifer from San Antonio, Texas, and I am a librarian, which means I don't know everything, but I do know where to find it. And I can say for certain that we did, in fact, evolve from filthy monkey men. You're so much better at that than me. It's October 7th. And it's Bring Your Bible to School Day. That's right, which means it's also Pour Satanic Milk on Your Bible Day at school. <laughs> Three votes. I have no illusions. I'm Eli Bosnick. I'm Heath Enright. And from Joe Rogan's New Jersey, Cincinnati you? Red State and Red Town Blue State, this is The Skating Atheist. On this week's episode, we paint the walls with a month's worth of stored-up anti-theism. Christianity gets persecuted by adorable seahorses. And Don Ford will be here, because damn it, you missed him, too. 
But first, the diatribe. When I was a kid, I was often derided as a know-it-all, and I had a lot of trouble figuring out what the hell part of that was supposed to be an insult. Because sure, I, I mean, I didn't know at all, but it was a pretty candid admission that I knew so damn much more than the person insulting me that they couldn't tell the difference between that chasm and an infinite one. But our culture hates a know-it-all. And now, to be clear, the, the problem with a know-it-all, generally speaking, is they don't, in fact, know at all. We, we usually reserve that term for people who don't actually know much of anything and pretend they do. Uh, either that or we use it for people who go out of their way to correct minor points so they can show off their knowledge that birds totally count as dinosaurs in a cladistical sense. But at the same time, our culture still hates the more literal definition of a know-it-all as well. Now, I, I want to distinguish here between the individual and the society because this comes across from some individuals that just, you know, don't like it when people know more shit than they do. And when somebody knows a lot more than them, they take that as a character flaw. But that's not quite the same as the cultural pushback that the know-it-all gets. That comes from certainty. If you know enough about something to authoritatively declare that another person is wrong, our society castigates you for being cocky. Doesn't matter if you're correct. Doesn't matter what your credentials are. The simple fact that you didn't pay respect to the random theory of a layperson makes you an asshole. You'll hear this offered up sometimes as an explanation of why our culture hates atheists so much. Now, to a certain degree, that is true, but it's not an explanation of our society's prejudice so much as a byproduct of that prejudice. I mean, for realsies, who tends to be more certain in their beliefs? It's the religious people who constantly talk about absolute faith and belief regardless of the evidence that might come later. But for whatever reason, our culture forgives that certainty when it comes in the form of religious belief. We've been inoculated to it. Of course, religious people believe their religious beliefs absolutely. In many people's minds, that's what makes the beliefs religious. Or take the other common explanation that says people hate atheists because our beliefs rob them of their own. But again, it's not like religious people aren't doing that. I mean, for fuck's sake, I'm not condemning anybody to the fiery pit of torture for eternity. I'm just admitting there's no afterlife. If me, a Christian, and a Muslim all tell each other what we think happens to the other two when they die... I've got the best news in the room by far. But when Christians tell other people that they're going to hell or just imply that by believing that hell is a thing, our culture accepts that with a, you know, what are you going to do type shrug. When we tell people there's no evidence of life after death, we're suddenly the reason a grieving mother is sad. Now, to be clear, I'm talking about an unequal measurement here, but that's not to say that the other guys are starting at zero. Our culture, by and large, does look down on certainty, even in terms of religious belief, absolute religious belief. By and large, our culture encourages you to never be certain of anything if your knowledge might interfere with somebody else's sincerely held ignorance. You know, and, and, and I guess now that we're in the middle of a raging global pandemic, desperately trying to get people not to wash their fucking horse dewormer down with bleach, arguing with them about the shape of the planet and trying to convince them that climate change exists, some people are starting to wake up to the fact that this might be a problem. And all I'm saying is at least we kept some fucking seats warm for them. They're talking about your Jesus. Interrupt this broadcast for you a special news bulletin. Joining me for headlines tonight are the all and beat of my back, Heath Enright and Eli Bosnick. Fellas, <laughs> are you ready to make our triumphal return? Slowly rising back up from the molten steel. Okay, we're just kidding. We're back already. <laughs> and here we are. Uh, two thumbs up. Now I know why you cry, because nobody could hear me podcast. Yep. 
That was it all <laughs> along. All right. Well, now that we're finally back together after a full month, I think it's a perfect time to pause for a word from our first sponsor this week, Adam and Eve. I just think I would be surprisingly good if 45 billion won was on the line. But, so how does 45 billion won not make you winded walking up a flight of stairs, though? And all the games were not cardio, Noah. Some of guys, them were... guys, stop whatever you're doing. It's the most glorious time of the year. Uh, pumpkin spice latte season? 24 days till Halloween season? Yes. Well, kind of. It's test the waters with outfit stuff season. Sorry, test the waters. Test the waters with outfit stuff season. Yes, right? Lots of Halloween parties. Lots of costumed events. Hey, why don't you go as a nurse? Why don't I go as a cat boy? Boom. Outfit stuff. Oh. Okay, that's, that's pretty fucking smart, actually. Uh, so, okay, where can we get the, uh, the outfit for the stuff? AdamandEve.com. What's AdamandEve.com? They are a sex and sex work positive, LGBTQ-friendly adult toy superstore. They've got costumes like bedside nurse and naughty maid service and slither into your DM's schoolgirl. Lots of good stuff. Ooh, those all sound great for outfit stuff. Really? I, I've never gotten the whole maid thing. Right, like, why does a person working here? No, get out of the academy, guys. What are you talking about? Old, you're old. You're you're old. Plus, you can get fifty percent off any one item and ten free gifts when you enter our code scathing at checkout. That's scathing. S C A T H I N G. Offer code scathing at checkout at adamandeve.com. All right, Heath. Now all I need is an invite to a costume party. Oh, actually, you said you're doing like a memorial thing for your dad this year. Do you think? No, I do not. Okay, boo. And now, back to the headlines. In our lead story tonight, this week it was France's turn to reckon with the last century of church-sanctioned child torture. Uh, This came in the form of a 2,500-page report filed by a commission of doctors, historians, sociologists, and theologians who spent the last three years investigating allegations of child rape in the Catholic Church there. This commission, formed at the behest of the Bishops' Conference of France, interviewed over 6,500 victims and witnesses since 2018 and uncovered evidence of abuse by at least 3,000 abusers. But the truly jaw-dropping number that's actually catching all the headlines is the minimum estimate of victims, 333,000. Whoo, a COVID spike of child rape, if you will. Yeah, now, I need to take a second to put those numbers in perspective because I feel like a lot of Americans forget how small France is compared to us. Okay, we're talking about a country smaller than Texas with about as many people as, like, visit Walt Disney World every year. If all those victims were alive right now, they'd be like one out of every 200 French people. Worse still is the percentage of priests that represents. Of the estimated 115,000 priests that served in Catholic churches over the period they were investigating, about... Three percent were child rapists. That's so much. Yeah. And again, we cannot emphasize this enough. The other 97 percent definitely knew about it. Yeah, a lot. Okay, French people at church, uh, we're going to do a little experiment here. Look to your left. Now look to your right. You know what? Actually, just the left was plenty. Now run away. (laughs) You just saw a bunch of evil people. Yeah. Hey, if this helps put it into context for you, there are significantly more French Catholic priests raping kids than there are French Catholic priests willing to conduct a gay marriage. There you go. That's a big number. And I have to add this very important caveat to all of these numbers. They're bullshit. 
Mm-hmm. As shockingly high as they are, they are way lower than the actual number of both victims and abusers. And that's because this commission was formed, as I said, by the Bishop's Conference of France. And it relied on internal church documents as its primary source of information. Oh, is that not an independent body? The yeah, no, believe it or not. Yeah, no. And by some wild coincidence, out of all the hundreds of thousands of cases of abuse that were documented, a grand total of 20 are still within the statute of limitations to deal with living abusers. Huh. Yeah, the other 332,980 all just happen to be cases that can't be prosecuted. So either the Catholic Church in France almost completely fixed the problem pretty much exactly 30 years ago, which was, I should remind everybody, before the problem came to the attention of the general public, or they're lying about the recent shit and continuing to cover up for abusers. It feels mm-hmm. like the second thing. And also, they couldn't even make their lie look good. No, they could not. They got commissioned by themselves to investigate themselves. And they're basically announcing the lie at a press conference, and 20 priests are right behind the podium abusing kids. (laughs) Yes! Stop being Catholic. Yeah. Right! But that also means that, like, internally there was like a... Well, we cannot say we know about zero child rapists active in our organization... How many is an acceptable number of yes. active child rapists? 20? I feel like people won't freak out about 20, right? Like yeah. everyone's got 20. Oh, yeah. That was a meeting. <laughs> they had that meeting. Yes. Of course, now the report also comes up with a bunch of recommendations about how the church can stop covering up child rape in the future. It's super hard to do for them, apparently. And they largely mirrored the recommendations of the aforementioned hundreds of other identical reports issued by groups all around the world. And I'm sure that they'll implement some of them and they'll make good and damn sure that there are plenty of reporters there to document it when they do. Because as fucked up as it is to say this, this report about how many kids they raped is actually Catholic PR. Yeah. It's it's all part of a coordinated effort to convince people that this is a problem of the past, that the present iteration of the church is just as every bit as devastated by as we are. And, and I'm sure 50 years from now, that iteration of the church will issue a report about how devastated they are by the 2021 priests. But to be clear, nothing significant has changed, and the Catholic Church is still primarily a child rape cabal. Yep, that's the service they provide. Yep. And in Pat Roberts' so long farewell news, 91-year-old host of the 700 Club and truly one of atheism's best advocates, (laughs) Pat Robertson announced his semi-retirement this week. And, oh, gosh darn it, I'm going to miss that jiggly-cheeked bastard. I (laughs) I thought we'd have more time, Pat. I thought we'd have more time. Yeah, it's really sad. I think he finally melted you know, completely and enveloped himself like a mosquito in amber. (laughs) So maybe one day they'll make an island of Pat Robertson's as a theme. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah, as much as I hate the guy, he was a bit of a headline safety valve for us over the years, right? (laughs) You didn't have enough stories to fill the segment. You'd just go, okay, that's I'm sure P-Robes talked this week. Let me just check. Yeah, desperate I can go on their YouTube. There it is. Yep. A yep. baby can be a demon. Yep. Okay. <laughs> I got a story. Thank you, Pat. So, yeah, a mere 60 years after starting the Christian Broadcasting Network and 54 years after becoming the host of the 700 Club, because the original host was a rapist who stole millions yep. of dollars from the network. That's why. Robertson is shambling down. But let's not focus on that. Let's focus on... How much he's given us over the years from 
telling callers that, yes, their grandbaby could be a demon, to warning people what they really could happens? get AIDS from towels. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He always had something new and stupid to say. And gosh, I will just always be grateful to him for that bucket of crazy. Well, and the fact that he managed to do it all of it while looking like a light bulb after a house fire was just icing on the cake, wasn't <laughs> he really it? He really did. He really did. Now, the good news is that P. Robes isn't entirely gone from our hearts and podcast. He will still be making monthly appearances as his son takes over as full-time host, so we can wean ourselves off of his crazy slowly. But here's hoping, like mild-mannered sons of famous Christians before him, looking at you, Jerry Falwell Jr., <laughs> his kid turns out to be an even crazier provider of material for our podcast. There you go. There you go. It can happen. And in Grift of the Gab news, fantastic. thanks to Right Wing Watch, we learned that right wing piece of shit Stu Peters interviewed right wing piece of shit Andrew Torba last week. Torba is the founder of right wing piece of shit Twitter, <laughs> also known as Gab. Well, on the rare occasion that it is indeed known, but yes. Right. <laughs> and working. And uh, Torba had a big announcement. He seems to be under the impression that he's launching a parallel society just for conservatives where they can enjoy their quote freedom family god and guns to be clear he is not he's not doing that but that's what he said that's what he thinks is happening hey if launching a website creates a parallel society i'm the fucking watcher (laughs) (laughs) so the discussion started with Stu peters asking are you talking about creating an entire society is that a secession and Torba responded, it's a silent secession. That's uh, what he said into a microphone during yeah, the yeah, interview. So audio, audio. <laughs> then he added, our mission is to build a parallel society. We're building a parallel economy, a parallel Internet. End of society stuff I could name. <laughs> mm-hmm. And just to be clear, again, no, you're no. not. He thinks Christian right PayPal is an economy. And he thinks... Christian right Twitter and Christian right YouTube is a parallel Internet, all of which just, you know, for the record, happens on something called the Internet mm-hmm. yep. as part of something called the economy. Mm-hmm. It seems like I might have found an intersection of those <laughs> parallel lines. Something's wrong. Yeah, buddy. Terrorism that MasterCard is willing to ignore while they're busy shutting down Pornhub and OnlyFans isn't an underwater city patrolled by Big Brother. It's just <laughs> terrorism. But but it is worth noting how often they think they need a right wing alternative to left wing just the thing. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, I mean, let's not forget that that the thing that they're aspirationally moving in parallel to is reality. Stuff that happens yes. for real. Right. Yeah. Right-wing Uber. They're parallel to that in their heads. <laughs> right, yes. <laughs> we promise your driver will be racist. <laughs> I'm not saying they're not accurate in a lot of ways. No. Like that, but it's a dumb idea. So, yeah, he's going to build a new society with off-brand Twitter, just like he's going to throw away his furniture and make his whole house into different levels, like ancient mm-hmm. Egypt. <laughs> Absolutely not happening. But I would love to see him try it. I'd yes. love to see Neckbeard built his own internet and his own general concept of money and commerce. <laughs> yes. Please do that. Please try. All right. Now, for three Steve Bucks, you get access to racist Twitter and this here bottle of water I brought for us all to survive <laughs> yeah. off of. Where are you guys going? Uh, Where are you going? He's doing the grown-up equivalent of drawing plans for the fort they're going to build when Dad lets him use the hammer. In. <laughs> <laughs> and here's my favorite part. 
at the bottom of the screen during this entire exchange, it says in big letters, Gab, the Alamo of free speech. <laughs> Wait, what? Which, which yep. means not a single person involved in producing StuPeters.tv, including definitely Stu Peters, not a single person knows who won that battle. <laughs> right. Or, best case scenario, they're planning to, you know, die in a hail of gunfire to protect the free speech they already have, uh -huh. and then some <laughs> other group is going to win a battle six weeks later to win back the free speech that everybody had. Already had. <laughs> One can only hope, Heath. One can only hope. <laughs> and in Know Your Role Play News. Nice. You know, Christians have done a lot of awful stuff over the past couple of years. They overturned Roe versus Wade. That was a bummer. Mm -hmm. They tried to overthrow the government in a literal coup. Yep. Another bummer. They created an abortion hunting free market in Texas. But this time, they've gone too far. This week, they came for outfit stuff. And my <laughs> friends, enough is enough. What? Yeah, I let, let's face it. For most of us, our line in the sand is the footprint we're making in that moment, right? So. Yep. <laughs> so here's the story. This comes to us from preacher John Piper, of whom an anonymous viewer asked the following question. Quote, my husband likes to use role playing in the bedroom and various levels of bondage and dominance. He wants me to say things like, I am your slave. He wants me to wear certain collars around my neck. But he's a very nice person outside of the bedroom. He only asks if we can play out the fantasy in bed. What should I do? End quote. Okay. Uh, I think the answer is re-examine your entire worldview that doesn't say do what you want with consenting adults when there's a sex question. The answer, by the way, regardless, is definitely not ask Pastor John Piper well, for an answer. Uh, maybe <laughs> Pastor John Piper could be a sub. We don't know. He might have useful advice. Okay. He looks like a power bottom. He's got that gleam in his eye, <laughs> right? That assertiveness. Mm -hmm. So before we get into John's fucking bananas answer, quick PSA, don't do any kind of sex stuff you don't want to do. There you go. Role play or otherwise. Yep. I, I know for a lot of you that's a no-brainer, but just a bunch of folks who listen to our show weren't raised with good and healthy ideas about consent. So just for the record, if you're not enthusiastically into anything, you don't have to do it. But that, of course, is not John's response. Nope. John's response <laughs> is that it violates the holy institution of outfit stuff. What? Here's what he had to say. Quote, fantasize sin is sin, no matter how many people agree to it. End quote. And, and before you ask, do not dress up as Ruth Bader Ginsburg. That's a sin. She is Jewish. So. <laughs> but wait, but don't. Okay, by that argument, then when they reenact the crucifixion, they're killing Jesus, though, right? Oh. <laughs> we could catch him in like a really Dormammu loop if we told him that. Exactly. <laughs> he continued, quote, if you need ever more kinky sex, ever more bizarre, unconventional sexual acts at the expense of your spouse's enjoyment, you are elevating your appetite above his or her delights. That's not the way of Christ. <laughs> what is the... I want to know the fucking way of Christ. Side note, I will be referring to my sexual libido as my delights from now on. And, and I'll be referring to mine as the way of Christ. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Okay. But don't worry. His advice wasn't all fuddy-duddy kink-shaming. We also got a fascinating insight into Piper's own fantasy life when it came time to give examples. He concluded... So you heard the question... He concludes by saying, quote, if you mutually agree to pretend you're having sex in Times Square with a thousand people watching, 
It is a sin. If you mutually <laughs> agree to pretend that you are two strangers who happened upon each other in the woods and have sex, you are <laughs> sinning, end quote. Weirdly. You mutually <laughs> agree to take a listener question about bondage and then you really want to get railed by a druid while you're eating dog food in the grove of oak trees in my backyard. <laughs> so can you repeat the question? What were we... You go. Somebody else go. Why would... It's just... She gave you examples in the question. <laughs> also, go to Times Square, man. Do your thing. Do your Enjoy. Thing. New York absolutely. does not care. They won't even step around. They'll just go over. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I think we can all agree that Christianity has crossed its final line. We're all officially atheists now that they've come for out and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. On the plus side... I am 100% going to be thinking about getting it on in front of those off-brand Elmos in time with yeah, exactly. time I indulge my delight. So it's not all bad, yeah. is, is what I'm saying. All right. Well, I think we all have some increasingly graphic kinks to write viewer questions to John Piper about now. So we're going to pause for a quick break for a word from our second sponsor this week, HelloFresh. B-U-S-Y-C-O-O-K-I-E, busy cookie. What's a cookie busy doing? Be a busy. Well, hey there, Noah. What are you doing? No, don't do not do that. Well, Eli, I was... Wait, wait. why are you talking like that? Oh, so it's just, a bunch of people said how much they liked it when you and Lucinda were doing the ads, so mm -hmm. I figured I could I could sort of keep the spirit going. I'm, I'm sorry, that was supposed to be my wife? Yeah, you know, it's <sighs> a southern accent. Not, told you not to do that. Okay, so if you give me $1,000, I will not tell Lucinda that your Dolly Parton voice and your impersonation of her are the same voice. Dude, that's a really good deal. You should take it. Guys, come on. I mean, it's not like they don't sound Lucinda, anything. guess what Eli's doing? No, come back. I changed my mind. I will give you $1,000. This was a HelloFresh ad, everybody. So just make sure that you... You know what? We're not getting paid for this one. Never mind. <laughs> And we're back. Next up in headlines in putting the RG back in clergy news tonight. Doesn't <laughs> quite, doesn't, <laughs> we've done a lot of stories over the years uh, about priests stealing money from their churches for gay sex parties. So many. Like more than I anticipated when we started the show. I'm going to go ahead and say <laughs> so many, in fact, that when I saw the headline, Italian priest allegedly stole $117,000 from church for drug field gay orgies, my first thought was... Wait, was this a new one or is this an update? I literally thought this was an old story and I checked the date. Me too. This is new. Yeah. This is new. But yeah, apparently yet another priest was raiding the coffers to supplement his drug-fueled orgy budget. And before we make the mistake of celebrating this as possibly the best use of funds ever donated to the Catholic Church, I should specify exactly which drug was fueling the orgy. The reason we know about this is that the cops got suspicious when the dude's roommate, quote, imported a liter of the common date rape drug GHB from the Netherlands, Ugh. end quote. Okay, that's terrifying for so many reasons, including the word common yeah. in that yeah. phrase. I'm sorry, a guy can't knock himself on his ass with some GHB without being lumped in with Brock Turner all of a sudden? Yeah. That GHB is for me, sheeple, and I consent. <laughs> so, I consent. No, that's no, a little that, treat for Eli. No, that's <sighs> true. It is. It can be quite... A little treat. So I, I'm not sure whether to call this guy the hero or the villain. So I'm just going to say the central figure in this story <laughs> is Francesco Spagnisi. 
so close to spaghetti. Not really. So it's almost just an spaghetti. Yeah. So he's a 40 year old Catholic priest in Italy that virtually every non atheist resource identified as highly regarded. One of them even noted that his homilies were, quote, sparkling, end quote. <laughs> anyway, his apartment was apparently raided mid-drug-fueled gay sex party a couple of weeks ago where cops observed, I mean, drug-fueled gay sex, Probably obviously, but, but they also found a couple of homemade crack pipes while they were raiding it. Okay, that's a weird detail. It, it feels like when you embezzle a hundred grand to fund your party... You don't smoke your crack from a fucking apple like a teenager. <laughs> no, no, I get it. Because you don't want the guy at the head shop to be like, hey, you're never going to guess which highly regarded and sparkling orator I sold a crack pipe to tonight. <laughs> you know, you got to. <laughs> it's about privacy. Now, uh, apparently this is far from his first drug orgy. Uh, police interviewed at least 200 people who had attended similar parties in the past. And this one wasn't the first he allegedly funded with stolen church funds either. According to police, Spagnisi withdrew over $117,000 from the parish's bank account, which he told his boss was being used to help the poor. Assuming the poor in question were selling drugs, that's probably true. But in light of that theft, the bishop cut off his access to the church's accounts, at which time he started stealing money from the mass collection and just asking parishioners for funds directly. Hey, uh, guys, is it weird that this week's tithe went into a liquor store plastic bag? It's weird, right? Now, it's also worth adding, by the way, that as near as I can tell, no charges have been filed in this case, which is kind of fucked up. Okay, like, obviously, I have no issues whatsoever with drug-fueled gay sex parties. Those are the best kind of gay sex parties. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. And and, and I'd much rather see Catholic funds going to that than anywhere but into the pockets of their sex abuse victims, really. And, and of course, the money belongs to the parish, so it's up to them if they want to press charges, and, and so far they don't. But in the end, they are collecting money under the auspices of charity work and shit. Then they're using it for personal shit and then forgiving themselves for lying. Yep. And the entire business model of all religions or not, that's still immoral <laughs> as all hell. Mm-hmm. And in hospitality news, as we record this episode on October 6th of 2021, the single most detrimental thing to the average American's public health is their unvaccinated neighbors. Whether you're vaccinated or not, the unvaccinated are among us, causing breakthrough cases, clogging up emergency rooms, raising healthcare premiums, and just generally making the world a worse place. Yep. And while that problem is solving itself at around 2,000 people a day, it is important to note that depending on what source you use, one to five percent of those plague spreaders have a special magic permission to kill their fellow Americans that's called a religious exemption. Now, again, depending on what source you use, as much as five percent of unvaccinated Americans have special permission from God legally to get you sick and kill you. Yep. But luckily for us, the administrators at the Conway Regional Health System in Arkansas are calling the religious's bluff among their employees, and it is fabulous. Yeah, it really is. But before we get to that, I want to point this out, okay, because religious people are constantly trying to defend this by saying, well, those people aren't really religious. They're just using the religion. They're not really, that's not really coming from it. So, you know, as tempting as it is to dismiss that as a no true Scotsman fallacy, it's easy to miss the fact that that actually makes it worse. Right. Right. So like that, just, just don't throw that away. Just point out to them 
that's a point on our side. The fact that there's no way to measure religious sincerity isn't even a fallacious defense. It's a point for us. Yeah. So one of the reasons that folks are claiming a religious exemption from taking the vaccine is because it was developed using aborted fetal cell tissue, which... No, it wasn't. It was tested using cells grown from aborted fetal cell tissue from the late 70s, early 80s. Saying the vaccine was developed with aborted fetal cell tissue is like saying there's three protozoa as the hosts of this podcast. But I digress. That's what they're saying. So when about 5% of the staff at the privately run Conway Regional Health System requested religious or medical exemptions to the vaccine, the hospital administration distributed a form that listed over 30 medications that were also tested on fetal cell tissue, including <laughs> Zoloft, Tylenol, Preparation H, and Acetaminophen. Amazing. And just asked those who requested religious exemption to affirm that they have never and will never <laughs> take those other medications either, saying, quote, Staff who are sincere should have no hesitancy with agreeing to this list of medicines, end quote. Such good work by Conway Regional Health System. And also, I cannot wait to see the guy who agrees to that. Right. He's just like, I got a raging migraine. My hemorrhoids look like I'm birthing a Chicago pizza. But I'm a fucking Christian, and I'm doing this. Yeah, I'm honestly pretty conflicted about how hard I want to push back on the real Christians won't take medicine trend. You know? <laughs> Roll them <laughs> dice. And look, as awesome as this form is, it, it is sadly unenforceable. Yeah. Right? R religious exemptions don't need to be tied to consistency or reality because if they did, they wouldn't be religious. Right. But right. one more signed form where these people have to acknowledge their own stupidity and hypocrisy. Well, my friends. That's always a good thing. And finally tonight, we have a new challenger entering oh. the ring in the Moms Having Christian Freakouts Kumite. Anna? What are the guys talking about? It's the newest, the greatest Christian Freakout. That's right. We got a Christian Freakout. The reigning champs of the Freakout Kumite are, of course, one million moms. We're only about 996 thousandths of a million away from having their retirement <laughs> sense. So, almost there. Yeah, no, in terms of order of magnitude, you guys are like halfway there. Yeah, <laughs> ladies. But now, they have some competition from a group called Moms for Liberty that's trying to ban a giant list of children's books from the Williamson County School District in Tennessee. Right. And this actually makes their title... Less accurate than one million miles. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which is almost impressive in a way. Liberty? It's the opposite. No, no. So, Moms for Liberty made headlines last week when the Daily Beast reported on their book protest. And the object of their crusade? They don't want kids learning about climate change, heretical science in general, and of course... Seahorses fucking. Seahorses fucking. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, I don't want my kid learning about climate change either. I mean, that shit's spooky. Yeah. You see some of the stuff. It seems I real, real unfun. Until we have a clearer handle also on what parts of psychology are and aren't genetic, I kind of don't want your kid learning about seahorses fucking either. Really. Well, it's <laughs> part of every growing young man's life to fuck a sea monkey. No. What? I said what I said. I feel like we've uh, taken a tangent now. Move so. on. Let's go ahead and meet the new challengers. Ooh, look at me. I never fucked my sea monkeys. <laughs> the Moving just right past it. The co-founders of Moms for Liberty are Tina Descovich and Tiffany Justice, 
who spent the last year and a half making sure schools have more COVID and less science. But they got distracted by the real problem, seahorse fucking. And that's when they found a bunch of other very serious problems with the reading list for the kids there. So they made a spreadsheet to document all the evil books, and they sent it to the school board in protest. Now, quick thing. That's not how spreadsheets work. They're not no. adding up columns of their panicky complaints with formulas. You can't add that stuff. Whatever. They wanted rows, whatever. So that's what they did. They sent a list. A list. Heath, I'm confused. You're saying you don't enjoy how I organize everything you guys have ever let me be in charge of in a spreadsheet with different size rows and columns I don't label? I don't say it's not. It's, I, I'm actually mad every time. So <laughs> here's a few of the problems they found. I'll start with a book about hurricanes. According to the Moms for Liberty, kids can't be at liberty to learn about the destructive power of hurricanes. What? Also, Johnny Appleseed is no good because, quote, okay. the story is sad and dark. What? And a book about owls was problematic, too. According to the complaint, it's a sad book, but turns out okay. <laughs> Not a book I would want to read for fun. What? Said a grown-up in a functionless spreadsheet. <laughs> guys, guys, did we start accidentally diarying in our banned book lists again? We need to talk about this, guys. <laughs> I just, I kind of want to get my hands on the gritty reboot of Johnny Appleseed that they read, though, right? <laughs> oh, Liam Neeson stars in it. It's great. <laughs> really good. And that brings us to the seahorse fucking. The complaint says a book about seahorses is unacceptable because it depicts, quote, mating seahorses with pictures of postions sick and discussions of the male carrying the eggs. And they think, I guess, little kids are going to see this picture book and start non-binary fucking all over the kindergarten room? <laughs> yeah, I, I guess. I, I mean, admittedly, I thought it was a little weird that the female seahorse is doing an ahagaho face, but, you know, I mean, it's like <laughs> the illustrator's choice. Moving on, on top of all that that I just mentioned, they also complained constantly about history books for having too much history in them, especially the parts about terrible white people doing slavery stuff, which it tells those people to do in the Bible at multiple moments. And that's critical race theory. No, it's not. Absolutely. No, it's not. (laughs) In one complaint, they said, quote, the entire book is filled with war and killing and blood and graphic images so they want more Bibles in schools. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess now that Heath has gotten everybody in the mood for seahorse porn, we're going to have to close the headlines for the night. Heath, Eli, thanks as always. Come on, G. And when we come back, Don Ford will be here too late for the seahorse fuck stuff yet again. Every week. I mean, kids these days. You know? Right? Yeah. Hoop and stick. Now, that, that was a game. Yes, that was great. Hey, guys, what you doing? Oh, hey, Eli. Well, now that Heath and I are both over the age of 40, we have to do old guy complainy stuff every 48 hours or we turn into hippie dads. Hippie dads? Yeah, sadly, those are the two choices. Old coot or hippie dad handing out beer to 13-year-olds at a quinceanera. That's it. That feels very specific. And I mean, nobody wants to work anymore. Oh, nobody wants to work anymore. The worst. Actually, guys, lots of people want to work, and the best place to find them is ZipRecruiter. What's ZipRecruiter? It's the smartest way to hire. 
When you post a job on ZipRecruiter, they send you the most qualified people for your job. Then you can easily review the candidates and invite your top choices to apply for your job. In fact, according to ZipRecruiter's internal data, jobs where employers use ZipRecruiter's invite to apply get, on average, two and a half times more candidates, which helps make for a faster hiring process. Wow, that does sound good. See for yourself. Just go to this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash scathing. That's S-C-A-T-H-I-N-G to try ZipRecruiter for free. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash scathing. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Okay. But hoop and a stick, though. Hoop and stick, exactly. How do you go to Italy and not have Domino's pizza? That's where it's oh from. God. I'm not explaining this again. It's a Domino's. It's not better. It's hey, guys. Don't do that. You guys ready for uh, Bible Peace Theater? Mm, Bible Peace Theater. It's been so long. Remind me. The shows weren't gone. That bit doesn't make any sense. Okay, so, so the part of the podcast where we act out the Bible with sketches and songs and shit. Right, right, of course. Okay, don't indulge him. And Don's here, by the way. Hi, Don. Hi, Heath. Hello. Chips. Don, when did you get here? Uh, right when you asked Heath if he got to see the original Pizza Hut. I know. Can you believe that he missed it? Uh, yes, I can. You don't even go here. So where were we in the Bible? Okay, so Solomon is king, and he's very, very wise. Yeah, he threatened to cut those prostitutes' baby in half. Yes, right. I remember that. So what happens next? Okay, so there's a couple of chapters of impossible math. Impossible math? Yeah, it's like... um. It says the Israelites were as numerous as the sands in the sea, that David got a near infinite amount of animal sacrifices per day, he had 40,000 stalls of horses. It just a bunch of really unrealistic numbers. Uh, question. Oh, we're doing questions now. Yeah. So I've always wondered, how come this stuff stayed in the Bible? Right? Like, I get that the parts with the talking snake and the universe being made out of nothing made it in, but, like, ancient people had sand, right? Mm -hmm. They knew that sand was, like, too big a number way back then even yeah right it's it's a little complicated so and it also depends on who you believe and how the book is translated right so like one theory is that the term as many as there are grains in the sea actually meant spanning to the nearest body of water right or it could be a translation error as the greek the bible is largely translated from has similar english translations for different numbers or it could be something that got changed in a secret papal council because the original math didn't work out, so they just changed it to be impossibly big numbers that were hard to question. Okay, so we don't know why the Bible is wrong because it's wrong in so many different ways? In so many ways, yes. yes pretty much. Yeah. Okay, this book is stupid. Yep, sure. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what... What happens after the bad math? Okay, well, now it's time to build a giant temple to God, so he writes to the king of Tyre for some supplies. Hiram, king of Tyre, can I have some of your trees for our new temple? Best Solomon, the new king of Israel. Solomon, totally, absolutely, big fan of David, happy to help, sending trees right away. Uh, all I ask is that you feed my people your very good friend, Hiram. Sending you 10,000 bushels of grain a year and some oil, too, with thanks, Solomon. Solomon. Yeah, so I feel like that's not feeding my people, but I guess 
pancakes, whatever. Uh, I'm sure you'll get me back, buddy. Solomon. Love, Hiram. And then there's like four chapters of how big the temple is and how big Solomon's palace is and how many bathrooms it has. And Wow, really? Yeah, it goes on for a while. That seems like it would be hard for us to make funny. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, I've got it. And now, back to House of God Hunters. This is Yahweh, God of the Hebrews. He and his servant Solomon are looking for a one-temple home in the middle of the desert. All right, Solomon, God, you've seen three houses now. Do you have a favorite? Gosh, it's so hard to choose. Oh, it really is. I love that last one that had like 2,000 baths. Right? I mean, you guys don't know about running water yet, so you can just take a bath and wall up that room. Wall up the room. That's what I was thinking. And the silver handles on the doors? Oh, so elegant. Mm-hmm. So, what do we think? Oh, we'll take it. Oh, my God, are we doing this? We're doing this! You watch a lot of house hunters over vacation. I was on a lot of planes. Sure. Okay. Okay. So, the temple is finished, and Solomon is going to make a speech to his people. Um, okay, everyone, if I could have your attention, just real quick, so it's come to my attention that this book has kind of followed a pattern so far. And Is it the sexism? Or the brutality? The racism? Uh, no, 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 not any of those. It, the, the genocide. Uh, Is it all the genocide? No, no, please, that makes please, sense. Please stop guessing. Um, it's that you guys do something bad, and then God gets mad and kills you, and then you say, sorry, and then the cycle starts over again. So... I built this giant temple, which God is a really big fan of. So much space for activities. That's right. And I've sacrificed him like eight majillion animals. So here's the thing. Next time you do something bad and God is going to smite you or make you sick or whatever, just come here and he should calm down. There's even a TV in the bathroom. That's right, buddy. There sure is. So cool. So then the Queen of Sheba comes to visit Solomon and see all his awesome stuff. Hail King Solomon. I have come to see our many wonders of your kingdom. Well, thank you, Queen Sheba. You are most welcome. At King Solomon. Hi, hi. I'm Hiram, kind of Solomon's best friend. Hello. Oh, uh, hello. Hi. Anyway. Hiram. I have come bearing 120 talents of gold. Wow. 120. That's great. That's a great gift. Good. Oh, yes. We Good. are most grateful, Queen of Sheba. I actually gave him 420 talents of gold as a gift, which is like a lot more. And it's also the super funny weed number, 420. But... But yours is good, too. That's, that's cool. That's Indeed. Nice you. Indeed. Our two kingdoms shall Oh, hey, be... actually, that reminds me, Solomon. I meant to tell you, I also brought you some uh, almug trees. So, yeah. You're like, uh, you're welcome, or whatever. No big deal. Uh, what's, what's an almug tree? Oh, they're like super rare and valuable trees. Probably like 120 talents of gold apiece per almug tree. But it's no big deal. Sorry, Queen of Sheba, you were doing your tiny little itsy bitsy gift thing and, uh, I interrupted. Go ahead. Sorry. I've actually never heard of an almug tree either. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that makes sense. They're super rare. Super rare trees. Um, Hiram? Yes, Solomon? 
Maybe give me and the Queen of Sheba the room. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally, of course, yeah, yeah. I mean, nobody wants a third wheel, right? Except for like, you know, tricycles and wheelbarrows, where third wheel is actually it's the most important wheel in some cases. But yeah, totally get it. Hiram, ready? No, going. I'm going. I'm going. As I was saying. Sorry, just real quick, Solomon. Uh, I also brought you some gems too, like super big gems. You can see. Hiram, this is. They're big. I'm gone. I'm gone. I'm going. I'm going. It's nice to meet you. I like your uh, your makeup. It's very um, it's very a lot of it. Hiram. I'm going. I'm gone. But even Solomon the Wise eventually abandoned God for one of the most tragic reasons wise people fall. <gasps> What's that? Dating someone terrible. Oh. Yeah. No, you are a Snooky Wookum. Oh my god, like, you're the Snooky Wookum. <clears throat> King Solomon? Oh, hey, Hiram. What's up? You've met, uh, Ashley, right? No, no, uh, I don't think I've met Ashley. Um, she one of your 700 wives and 300 concubines? Yes, and she's a Snooky Wookum. Oh my god, no, you are! It's nice to meet you, Myron. It's, it's Hiram. Uh, sorry... Do you have a tattoo on your face? Yeah, it's because I'm a Virgo. Like, like that's what it means, or or just Virgos get face tattoos? Both. Okay, you said that like it was a question. You know what? Never mind, Solomon. I noticed you were building temples on the high places to other gods. Oh yes, yes, that was Ashley's idea, wasn't it, babe? Totally, I thought of it. Oh, cool. Yeah, she's helping out with the thing we. We do together, the two of us. That's a fun surprise. Um, Ashley, do you build temples? Do you know a lot about that stuff? No, I work at the Fashion Bug, but all my friends tell me I'm, like, super smart and should smart. build temples. Sure, 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 yeah. I'm um, sure they do. Well, I love when strangers join in on uh, the thing that we do together. That's great for me. This is great. This is great. See? I love this. See, I told you he'd be cool about it. I was actually, like, a little nervous that you wouldn't be cool. <laughs> what? Nervous? Why, why would you be nervous giving input on a thing that... We are experts at just because you're fucking one of us. Why would that See, be? See, that's exactly what I said. He said that. He did say that. Okay, great, great. Well, uh, Solomon, do you still want to go to lunch with me? Um, we had the plans to go to lunch. Do you want to oh, do that? Oh, yeah, of course. Um, Ashley, do you want to come to lunch? Or? Yeah, oh, for okay. sure. But Ashley it too. has to be gluten-free, cool. and we really do need to bring my brother. What? Oh, yeah, of course. I'm sure he's welcome. He's crashing with us for a couple of days. Yeah, he got fired from Buffalo Wild Wings because they're racist against white people. But we have to pick him up, though. His chariot has a breathalyzer. Oh, that's no problem, Snooky Wilkins. He's your family, and that means he's our family, right, Iram? Yep, yes, yeah. Let's, uh, let's go get your brother who, who got fired. Right, kind of like that. Anyway, God creates two enemies for Solomon as punishment and promises to take the kingdom away from his son. He'd take it away from him, but he only gave Solomon the kingdom as a punishment to David, so... Yeah, it's hard to keep track of who you're taking a kingdom away from if you're giving it to... Precisely, yeah. Else. So so now it's time to meet Jeroboam, a man of mighty valor. Jeroboam! Jeroboam! Well, hello there, Ahijah the prophet. How can I help you? Seriously, Ahijah the prophet? Is there another guy earlier in the book named Jesus we're going to find okay, out I, about? I, I didn't there... write the book, man. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, what can I do for you, Ahijah? Me! My, my shirt! Here! 
Take these ten pieces, for God has said he will tear Solomon's kingdom to pieces and give ten of them to you. Oh, okay, uh, I feel like you could have just told me that, though. Well, because he's saving one part of the kingdom for Solomon's son because of David. So, you know, just now you know. So, I'm sorry, what does that have to do with tearing up my shirt? Well, I think you can't have this piece. It's mine. Of, of my shirt? Yeah. This is a weird prophecy, man. You're a weird prophecy. So Solomon dies, and his son Rehoboam goes to the city of Shechem to officially be made king. Rehoboam, before we make you king, the people and I have something to say. Very well, Jeroboam. What is it? Your dad was like a super-duper jerk to us. All of his solutions were cutting stuff in half. And he brought his girlfriend to stuff without asking. Okay, okay, got it. So, um, give me three days, and I'll have an answer for you. All right, we didn't really ask you for a for an answer. I said three days. Okay. All right, advisors, young and old, what do I say to my people now? You must be kind to them. Speak softly and do not anger them. Okay, good idea. And uh, young guys, ideas? Yeah, man, fucking, so here's what you got to do. You got to, like, straight up walk up to their faces and just, like, totally establish dominance. Like, I, have you studied any NLP? Um, no. Oh, God, we have so far to go. Okay, so, like, here's the first thing you need to say. You need to walk out there and you need to be like, my pinky is thicker than my dad's dick. You, sorry, what? My pinky is thicker. No, 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 I heard the words you said. What does that mean? Oh, it means, like, I'm going to be even harder on you. How does it mean that? And then, then you say, if my dad whipped you, I'm going to whip you with scorpions. Uh, Okay, again, that feels... Cumbersome. Dude, 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 do you want to lead or do you want to follow? <sighs> lead, I guess. Exactly. Yes. Lead. Now, do you want some of this caffeinated matcha mixture I drink to hack my brain? It is so much better than coffee. Yeah, okay. Mm. Oh, God, that's awful. Fuck really? Yeah, dude, you are ready. I don't think he's ready. I am not vaccinated. People of Israel, I have something to, uh, something to tell you. Tell him about your dad's dick. Right. Um, yeah. So, my dad's dick is... My pinky is thicker than my dad's dick. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, also, gonna whip you with scorpions. What does that even mean? Are you gonna tie them to stuff and then whip us with them? Because that sounds like it's more dangerous for you. Right. Yeah, we quit Hmm. the Israel. Wait, what? You guys don't get it. I'm I'm laterally integrating here. You That's sound happening. unvaccinated. You're unvaccinated. Hey, hey, everyone. What's going on here? Your guy sounds super unvaccinated. I was leading through lateral thinking. Everybody, everybody, relax. Why don't we all head to our various cities and we can figure out who's king next month. But you promised with a torn shirt thing. I said, let's all head back to our sweet temples with the TV in the bathroom and think about it, okay? All about having a warrior mindset. I hate you. I hate myself. And now that Eli's established that kids these days suck, I guess we can close things off for now, but we'll be back next month with even more Bible Peace Theater.
it's time for the part of the show that comes next, listener feedback. This is the part of the show that has nothing to do with analingus. You're thinking of the back feed segment. This is the part where we answer your emails, tweets, and general concerns. Well, now I'm mad that I signed up for it. (laughs) Our first piece of feedback comes from several places. Our friends Tom and Cecil over on the Cognitive Dissonance podcast recently talked about a story on Jezebel called The Spooky, Loosely Regulated World of Online Therapy. The article specifically talks about one of our sponsors, BetterHelp, and raises concerns about the way they share user data. And several listeners have reached out to ask if we were aware of the article and if we're going to continue to advertise for them as a result. Yeah. So, okay, so I read the article, and I have to say, I I don't believe it merits disassociating ourselves from the company. Mm -mm. Now, to be clear, the article is not about BetterHelp sharing details of your therapy or of your mental health or your mental health diagnosis with third parties. That'd be illegal as all fuck. What they're sharing is data on how often you use the app and when, which they're sharing with third-party tracking services, just like pretty much every app that exists. Like, we do that, right? If you log on to one of our websites... Third-party tracking services know when and for how long and all that shit. App developers need that stuff for analytics. The concern the article brings up, and it's a legitimate concern, is how that can become problematic when the app we're talking about is used to facilitate therapy. In other words, it's creepy but mostly harmless for some analytics company to know when and how often you play Candy Crush. It's a whole other can of worms when they know when and how often you're in therapy. Now, I, I don't think it's fair to say BetterHelp is deceptive about any of this. I know nobody reads the fine print, but where the hell else are you going to put a statement like, also, we do as much data sharing as the next app? And uh, to, to the extent that it is problematic, we kind of have to weigh that against BetterHelp's mission to destigmatize therapy, which really lines up with what we do, as well as all the listeners that have contacted us to thank us for turning them on to BetterHelp services. Yeah, it, it's really important to note that we've heard from I would say almost a dozen people at this point who have tried or could afford therapy for the first time because of BetterHelp. Yeah. And that's literally a life-saving service. It's not to be undervalued, especially when it's weighed against the incredibly vague concept of digital privacy. Right. Yeah. Not to say that digital privacy is not important, but yes. So, yeah. So we're aware of the article. Yes, we discussed it internally and now we've discussed it on the show and, and shared those concerns. But after taking all that in, we're going to continue to partner with them. And I don't feel like, you know, I mean, I feel like we can do so with a clear conscience. Yeah, the idea of metadata privacy, it's certainly worth talking about for all types of digital interaction. Every time you use a search engine, similar things happen. And when it comes to stuff like healthcare information, even metadata surrounding that, I'd like to see the rules about data collection be extra strict in those cases. Definitely a major political issue right now. But in this case, the very tangible benefit of Many listeners finding the care they need feels like a big plus that outweighs the less tangible minus. And I'm basing that just on the listeners we know about who reached out to say they like the service. Hopefully, many more found good help quietly. Right. Yeah. And on a similar note, by the way, I should point out that we do drop sponsors if we feel like they're being deceptive. We have in the in the past case in point, a couple of listeners who work in IT fields and shit contacted us over the last couple of months with concerns about our ads for IP Vanish thinking that maybe they were deceptive. Now, they weren't saying that IP Advantage was a bad company or anything, just that the ad copy said stuff that wasn't necessarily true or left people with a wrong impression about what their products could do. We looked into it. We agreed with the listeners. We dropped IP Vanish as an advertiser. 
Now, once we did that, we kind of had to run out our existing contract with them. That's just kind of how this shit works. But it's it's run out now, and you won't hear any more ads for them on our show unless you're listening to the archives. So if you ever think one of our sponsors is deceptive or problematic or that you have information that you think we might want to know about that sponsor, please, by all means, let us know, right? Write to us, email us, tweet us, whatever. We want to hear it. It just doesn't always mean we're going to drop that advertiser. Yeah, maybe do a quick Google first, Joe, before you send that email. Just do a little quick Google. No, but tell us stuff. That definitely yeah. <laughs> includes when you hear a pre-roll ad for, you know, a Republican candidate for office yeah. for a bigoted Christian university. <laughs> we don't choose the content for those pre-rolls, but we've told the advertising people to very specifically ban those types of ads from our shows, but it seems like they sneak through once in a while. E- either way, I do kind of enjoy the idea that Liberty University technically paid money to advertise to our yeah, audience. they sure did. <laughs> Completely wasted that money. But regardless, definitely let us know. Feedback is always appreciated about ads or otherwise. I'm wrong a lot about lots of stuff. I need to be told. It's true. He does. He thought woolly mammoths were still alive one time, guys. That's not, like in a zoo. I think he thought they, they were in a zoo. I didn't think they were alive in a zoo. I thought that maybe it doesn't matter. That's all the feedback you get. If you want more, keep sending us those emails and tweets and Facebook messages and uh, tweet your questions to at PIATPod. Before we slide back into position for the next person tonight, I want to thank you one last time for your patience while we were on break. It's nice to be gone for a bit, but it's way nicer to be back. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for giving me a job that I miss while I'm on vacation. Anyway, that's all the blast movie we've got for you tonight. We'll be back in 10,022 minutes with more. If you can't wait that long, be on the lookout for a brand new episode of our sister show, The Skeptocrat, debuting at 7 a.m. Eastern on Monday. Yes, it's back. An even new episode of our sister show's hot friend, God Awful Boobies, debuting at 7 a.m. Eastern on Tuesday. And an even newer episode of our half-sister still citation needed, debuting at noon Eastern on Wednesday. Obviously, this wouldn't be much of an episode if I neglected to thank Heath Enright for being the hero that Gotham wants, Lucid Illusions for being the hero that Gotham needs, and Eli Bosnick for, let's face it, being the hero that Gotham winds up with. I also want to thank Jennifer, the librarian, for providing this week's Farnsworth quote, completely unrelated to the know-it-all diatribe I did, but you know, kind of worked out pretty well, complimented it, I think. But most of all, of course, I want to thank this week's best people who I can't thank by name because I'm having no end of trouble with my email today, apparently. It's kind of a shit week to be the internet, I guess, but I promise that I will exuberantly compliment you next week. And if you'd like to be exuberantly complimented alongside with them, you can make a perhaps a donation at patreon.com slash atheist, whereby you'll earn early access to an extended ad-free version of every episode. Or you can make a one-time donation by clicking on the donate button on the right side of the homepage at scathingatheist.com. And if you'd like to help, but you're not gonna, that's okay. You got your own shit to deal with. I get it. Legal services for this podcast are provided by the law offices of P. Andrew Torres. Tim Robertson handles our social media and our audio engineer is Morgan Clark who also wrote all the music that was used in this episode which was used with permission. If you have questions, comments, or death threats, you can find all the content info on the content page at skatingadiens.com. I really feel like we should have a contest with the listeners to see like who can like come up with the most specific kinky thing to write to John Piper about that they, that he'll still read on the air. Yes. Right. <laughs> I think that's a good contest. I'll make a t-shirt. Yeah. No, we'll send you a shirt. We'll autograph a shirt or something. The preceding podcast was a production of Puzzle and a Thunderstorm, LLC. Copyright 2021. All rights reserved. Warning, the profanity in this episode isn't fucking around. This week's episode of The Scathing Atheist is brought to you by Stamps.com, Adam and Eve, and by the new online service for people looking for all the mental health services with half the fat. I can't believe it's not better help. And now, the scathing atheist. This is Nikki, and as someone who has worked with people for over 20 years, I can assure you that we did, in fact, evolve from filthy, demanding, demeaning, 
soul-sucking. Why the fuck can't you treat me like a person, you sentient piece of... <sighs> monkey men. And please, treat your customer-facing refs with kindness. We have filthy monkey feelings, too. It's October 14th. And it's Be Bold and Be Free Day. Okay, one or two ain't bad. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Celebrate. I'm No Illusion. I'm Eli Bosnick. I'm Heath Enright. And from Jason Voorhees, New Jersey, <laughs> Cincinnati Red State and Red Town Blue State, this is The Skating Atheist. On this week's episode, the government gets a good look at Joel Osteen's pee-pee. The planets conspire to interrupt Facebook and no other major platforms. <laughs> and Anna Bosnick will be here to spear an earworm on a hook. But first, the diatribe. As atheists, we deal with two distinct types of religious arguments. The first broad category is arguments about the veracity of religion. Is it true? These are the apologetics, the arguments that say God is real or the Bible is true or and apologists increasingly retreat to this dodge, that science is somehow flawed, incomplete, or inaccurate, and therefore religion wins a point by default, or however the hell they think that works. And these arguments are basically silly. They're cognitive contortions, tricky wordplay, and logical fallacies. The second and far more potent type of argument is about the utility of religion. Is it useful? These are the ones you get from sideline atheists, defense-straddling agnostics, and, of course, the spiritual but not religious types that are trying to justify their own inaction or demonize your activism. These are the arguments that take the form of, yes, yes, God almost certainly doesn't exist, but it helps people cope with death, or it helps people rebuild their lives after a disaster, it helps build community, whatever. The condescending dismissal of atheism because the rubes need a God to cling to when they get scared of the dark. Now, we spend a lot more time on the latter than the former on this show because, let's face it, the other ones are just simpler. You know, either God exists or doesn't. Literally all available evidence points to him not existing. Plus, those arguments never change. Right? All the veracity arguments have been in basically their same form since the late Renaissance. But the utility arguments deal entirely with things that actually exist. They rely on data sets. They can be differently interpreted. They don't directly refute themselves. And most importantly... I feel like they have a lot more to do with society's willingness to tolerate religion's excesses than shit like Pascal's wager or the fact that there are still monkeys. So the one I want to focus on here is the idea that religion helps to give people's lives a meaning. This idea that religion justifies its existence by providing a narrative that can stave off depression or get people through the existential dread that might otherwise overwhelm them. I mean, let's face it, there, there, there's probably no other place religion can outdo atheism to a greater extent. Atheism offers you no more narrative than that which you can craft for yourself. Christianity, just to take one example of religion, has you allied with the creator of the universe, the redeemer of humanity, and all the forces of light against the author of all misery himself in a perpetual battle for the eternal souls of everyone on the planet. What's more, you personally play an integral part in that plan. God himself has laid out a specific role for you in the grand scheme of the universe, and, to at least some degree, the entire plan hinges on your contribution. 
Now, very obviously, all that stuff is bullshit. You know, when we're called on to refute that narrative, it's like dunking on an unguarded trash can. But what we're talking about here is whether it's useful for people to have the belief should they want it. Does society benefit from people having the option to be full-time LARPers for Bronze Age Hebrew mythology? Well, I guess given the misogyny, homophobia, violence, and slavery justifications in their book, I guess that's a pretty obvious no. So let's set aside the specifics of the faith and ask if it helps society for people to have access to a narrative that, though untrue, provides them with meaning and direction. Now, the first problem many of you will have noticed with this argument and with this type of argument in general is that you have to start off by placing yourself on a bit of a pedestal. I mean, clearly you and I are able to make it through life without a fictional narrative undergirding our actions. So to even ask the question, you have to assume a mental or psychological inferiority in others. That being said, there are obviously differences on how well each of us copes with all the shit life throws at us, right? So, like, not everybody needs therapy, but there's no arrogance in admitting that some people might need it even if I don't, right? So as tempting as it might be to dismiss this argument as sheer vanity, it isn't a sound dismissal. If we really want to tackle this one, we have to look at the value of purpose. Is it a benefit to believe that your life has meaning? Well, ultimately... I actually find this argument as unconvincing as the one about religion helping people cope with death. And for the same reason, essentially, you know, despite all the arguments to the contrary, pretending death doesn't exist is not a fantastic coping strategy. It turns out that the healthiest psychological strategy in coping with death is confronting it, because as uncomfortable as that is, it's the only actual option and everything else is just a delaying tactic. The same is true with narrative. Sure, it's not appealing to hear that your life has no intrinsic purpose, but that's the fucking truth. And ultimately, life is almost certainly going to force you to confront that fact at some point. What's more, the throwaway apologetics about God having a plan get less and less effective as we get older. So whatever benefit a person might derive from it is certain to weaken over time. And then they're going to go looking for more. Right. I mean, they, I guess they have the option of getting a late start on coping with the inherent meaningless of life. But the other option is to double down and start looking for narrative elsewhere. And that, that, that search for ever more potent narrative can take several forms and all of them fucking suck. You know, sometimes it means getting more and more serious about whatever religion you started in. Sometimes it means trying out all the other different religions you can think of. And since the religion with the most potent narrative tends to be a cult... It leaves people primed for some pretty fucked up stuff on that journey. But there's also the non-religious directions to take as well. And we see that every time somebody tries to explain how the fucking deep state is hiding the truth about ivermectin or the Illuminati is sacrificing babies under a pizzeria. Conspiracy theories are, after all, just the search for narrative in overdrive. They're created by our tendency to find patterns and random occurrences, and they're perpetuated by our need to assign meaning to happenstance. Is so often the argument about religion providing purpose or presented as though purpose is an unmitigated good, but it's also a fucking lie. Lives don't actually have meaning. Narratives can only be assigned to them after the fact. And by perpetuating the childish notion that one's life not only can have meaning, but should have it, like that, that, that you are owed a meaning for your life, just hinders our ability to cope with that in a realistic way. But far worse... It leaves people vulnerable to cult leaders, conspiracy theories, and, at its worst, authoritarianism. Look, it's no great revelation to say that people are better at dealing with problems when they first admit that those problems exist. But unfortunately for us in our culture, admitting that problems exist is pretty much the opposite of being religious. They're talking about your Jesus. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you a special news bulletin.
Joining me for headlines tonight are the Gihun and Saibak to my sang Wu Heath Enright and Eli Bostic. Fellas, are you ready to somehow complete this intro with no spoilers? Red light, red light. <laughs> okay. Ah, shit. D- does green light count as a spoiler? What if listeners haven't played the game? Damn oh, it. <laughs> all right, right. Okay. Well, quick, before we spill something important, we're going to take a break for a word from this week's first sponsor, Stamps.com. Hey, podcast listener. This week's episode is sponsored by Stamps.com, so we thought we'd give you a quick tour of the Scaling Atheist podcast factory so that you can see how all the sausage gets made. So this here is the sensory deprivation tank that we keep Heath in 23 hours a day so he can craft his puns perfectly undisturbed. Oh, okay, what about Tara Fawcett? I already used that one. Ah, uh, oh, damn it. And over here, Carl and Eli are hard at work in our continuity office, making sure the character and bit timelines stay secure at all times. No, Carl, Clip Clop Tom has expired by 2020. We have to use Faraway Cecil instead. Again? Yes, again. We will always use him again. And last but not least, our patron reward shipping center. But unlike all our other jobs, Stamps.com makes this one a breeze. Stamps.com brings the services of the U.S. Postal Service and UPS shipping right to your computer so Lucinda can upload addresses, print postage, and arrange pickup right from her desk. I sure can. Eli, just don't, man. Whether you're an office sending invoices, a side hustle, Etsy shop, or a full-blown warehouse shipping out orders, Stamps.com will make your life easier, almost as easy as working in our HR department. Mm, Puzzle and a thunderstorm HR department? No, that sounds fine. You're allowed to do that. All you need is a computer and standard printer. No special supplies or equipment. Within minutes, you're up and running, printing official postage for any letter, any package, anywhere you want to send it. And you'll get exclusive discounts on postage and shipping from USPS and UPS. Save time and money with Stamps.com. There's no risk, and with our promo code SCATHING, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in SCATHING. That's Stamps.com, promo code SCATHING. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. <laughs> okay. Uh, what about Ouija board? Weed, Ouija, Ouija. Uh, maybe. Man? And now, back to the headlines. In our lead story tonight, they're literally trying to kill us, y'all. And, and while it might be technically inaccurate to say that Religion is trying to kill us. We're talking about a group of people that's virtually all religious and they're using religion to do it. So it's almost a distinction without a difference at this point. When it's death, the correlation causation thing, it's not as important as <laughs> <to> this thing. <laughs> right. Exactly. And by the way, when I say us, of course, I don't mean atheists. I mean humanity. And since I could literally be talking about at least like a dozen different topics that we regularly discuss on the show to this point, let me narrow things down a bit. I was going to say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this week's lead story is about them trying to kill us with COVID using religious exemptions again. Specifically, it's about a lady getting a quickie ordination and immediately passing out over 150 religious exemptions to mask mandates. Fuck your face. Fun. Man. It's like the murder version of getting ordained so you can do your buddy's wedding. Yep. She got ordained so she could do her friends and family's funerals, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yep. exactly. Okay, I think blue states and blue localities need to start leaning in all the way on this thing. If you want a religious exemption to the vaccine in, like, California or New York, I think you have to wear a plague mask with the giant beak. There you go. The, the bl- all black leather, something like that. <laughs> if they think we're persecuting them anyway... We might as well get some enjoyment out right. of it and yeah, actually exactly. persecute them, right? Get, at least get to persecute, yeah. 
So I, I just I hate to keep harping on the existential threat to our lives and prosperity, but this story is such a perfect exemplar of exactly the kind of shit we've been talking about that I had to arm you with it. The homicidally misguided idiot at the center of this story is Kristen Grant, an Ohio mom that noticed a loophole in the school district's mask mandate. Specifically, it said that if a student submitted paperwork signed by a religious official, they didn't have to wear a mask. Now, keep in mind that there's literally no religion in all the goddamn world that has a faith-based reason not to wear a mask. Isn't that one of the commandments? No, (laughs) as it turns out, there's literally no known religion on earth that ever said anything about that at all prior to 2020. Yeah, if there was a religion that knew about germs, it would be called the right one. Yep, yeah. (laughs) And yet the school district felt compelled to add that line. So Kirsten Grant got herself ordained by the Universal Life Church, which is the religious equivalent of a diploma mill. Uh, Like, seriously, they've ordained pets before. Four states specifically have rules saying their ordinations don't count for fucking weddings. (laughs) It's it's one of the, like, nine churches in America the IRS is iffy about giving a tax-exempt status to. And yet, it was good enough for medical exemptions. Okay, okay. No joke. A few years ago, when I put out my All Churches Are Bad Challenge, TM, 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 someone offered this one as an example of a good church. So... One more notch in the bedpost, everybody. We found it. Yeah. And they're literally the least churchy of any church, according to the U.S. government. Right. And they're still a giant problem. This is basically your closing argument QED part of your thesis there. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So armed with those rock-solid credentials, Grant proceeded to pass out signed exemptions to mask mandates to anybody who asked for one. And among the most terrifying details of this story, that was 169 fucking people. Tight, 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 tight. Yeah, also competing for most terrifying detail in the, is the fact that the district went on to accept all 169 of those, even though you've got to imagine that, like, literally every single person with a mask exemption was getting it from her. And apparently that wasn't the only school district she was signing exemptions for. Okay, I want to put this carefully. I'm not saying it would be funny if she and her family got COVID and died. I am saying it would be fitting. It would be fitting. If okay. That, I don't know. Let's let's think about the funny thing. Is okay. it not? Would that not be? Okay. Well, if she died from like a piano or anvil situation, that's definitely that's funny. very funny. That is funny. Maybe. Okay. All yeah. of it's funny. All right. Yeah. If she had COVID while dying from a piano situation, that would be both fitting. Oh, and <laughs> she beats COVID and she walks out and then the piano yeah, there falls. You for, there you go. Okay. There. Yeah. That's actually okay. That's pretty funny. So when questioned about the ruse, about how she determined if they had a genuine religious objection to the mandate, Grant defended her murderous bullshit thusly, quote, it's not my job to prove or really ask, and it's not my business what their religion necessarily is. I'm a constitutional Christian. What? I think the Constitution is there for a reason. God created our bodies in a perfect way, end quote. That is in the Constitution. <laughs> See, well, so in other words, <laughs> my political whims supersede the public good because I'm Christian. And I look, I know political parties don't generally have slogans, but if the Republicans are looking for one. Yeah. <laughs> Alternate slogan. If we die, it's fitting and maybe funny. <laughs> yeah. Maybe funny. Yeah. The Republican Party. We are Robert Nozick's utility monster. The party. Non-ironically. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. That's what we are. Wow. And in Olstein, can't you PP news? Okay. As businesses struggled to survive the first COVID lockdowns, as mom and pop shops across this nation closed their doors forever in the face of shutdown, Joel Osteen's Lakewood Church in Houston, Texas, ample provider of absolutely fucking nothing, 
received $4.4 million in PPP loans to keep their busy staff of nothing doers employed. And this week we learned that they're giving at least some of that money back, probably because they didn't keep all their nothing doers while they were shut down. Yeah, right. And, and by the way, before anybody says, well, I mean, they're employees like any other, I want to remind you that churches are exempt from EEOC regulations with the excuse that they're not like any other employer. So in this instance, they had their cake, ate it too, and then gave it back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and just to be clear, their cake is legalized bigotry and stealing tax dollars for nothing. Yep. And now they're giving back regurgitated tax dollars. <laughs> Still keeping the bigotry. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you're wondering... Why is Osteen giving the money back? Well, we don't know. His church has less than 500 employees, so he's not obligated to repay the loan as long as he used it for staffing. And my guess is, based on nothing but the shiny, shiny evil radiating from Osteen's teeth, that's not what happened. Right. right? <laughs> this is a dude who lives in a $10 million mansion who publicly bragged to his congregation about buying a $300,000 Ferrari. I think he saw the money went all hungry, hungry hippos on it. And repaying this loan is the church cleaning up his mess. Well, right, because like thanks to our fucked up legal system, those $4.4 million were the only dollars he was accountable for in any fucking way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were already looting the public coffers so much already. The PPP loans is just a new version of wasting money on magical nothing. Quick reminder, we give religion about $85 billion a year as a tax subsidy for the magical nothing they do. Just in the U.S. That's yep. just in the U.S. But don't worry, everybody. That very probable reason for repayment hasn't stopped Lakewood Church from telling everyone who will listen that they're just giving the money back like it's some fantastic act of charity. Right. Yeah. No, it's like when you thwart a crime by thinking of a better thing to do that <laughs> afternoon. Exactly. <Yeah. laughs> so news of this return has been unskeptically and admiringly reported just about everywhere as though giving the money back now at their own pace, and I should point out, stopping whenever the fuck they want to, was the same as not raiding government coffers during one of the most fragile times for small business in the last 50 years. Either way, I guess it's good that Joel Osteen's church has less money. Sure. I mean, giving money to Lakewood is essentially throwing money down a hole if that hole was also somehow racist, sexist, and homophobic, (laughs) and it's... It is 2021, so I'm going to take the win where I can. I'll take the win where I can. (laughs) And in Zuck Your Face news, Facebook mostly shut down for a few hours last week, preventing everyone from arguing about nothing and sharing dank memes, at which point millions of people flew into a murderous rage. (laughs) And we have two theories on the cause of that. Option one, Facebook's VP of infrastructure is right, and it was configuration changes on the backbone routers that coordinate network traffic between data centers, which led to an interruption in digital communication. Or, option two, Mercury was in retrograde. (laughs) It's one of those two. (laughs) Hard to say. Speaking of correlation, just unrelated, all supporters of that second hypothesis keep dating guys with tattoo sleeves, and they don't know why it doesn't work out. (laughs) Sorry, listeners with tattoo sleeves. Okay, I want to be clear on this. I'm not sorry. You did that to you. So, People who couldn't make it an afternoon without Facebook have issues and they need to do some inner reflection after that. But 
I don't want to diminish the very real problems this caused for people all over the world that rely on Messenger and WhatsApp as their primary source of communication, as well as people who were competing in very important weekly challenges on their inexplicably bricked Oculus Quest. Why the <laughs> fuck would Facebook have to be up for that to run? The struggle is real, okay? Absolutely, yeah. So, point is, that IT nerd was probably lying. Yeah. So, let's examine <laughs> the cosmos. According to astronomy expert Lisa Stardust. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. She's, she's an astronomer for Teen Vogue. Or, or astrologer. Basically the same. Either way. <laughs> According to Ms. Stardust, Mercury retrograde occurs four times a year. During this time, miscommunication, technological meltdowns, travel issues... And faulty news are rampant. The, except this. This is, this is, this is real news right here. Fuck. Okay. Whatever. Continue. I'm continuing my quote. <laughs> Every time I talk about this, fake news <laughs> is rampant. So she continues. Six planets are currently retrograde in the sky at the moment. Mercury, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto. Not a planet. No. All of these planets are playing a role in the delay to fix social media. Jupiter connects people. Saturn takes on the task of fixing matters. Uranus is ruler of the internet and innovation. Which is damn impressive because there are a lot of anuses on the internet. So the yeah. fact that mine <laughs> is the ruler, that's... Neptune is the planet of confusion and illusion. Collusion. And Pluto represents turmoil and therefore annoyances. With these five planets in retrograde motion and Mercury added to the mix, it's safe to assume that it'll be a hot minute before any of these technological issues are reconciled. After today, it'll be hard to tell an astrologer that astrology or retrogrades are not real, especially since you'll have to tell them offline. Oh, you'll have to use your face. Okay, yeah. my favorite thing about that is that she's like, Jupiter is in charge of peanut butter and Pluto is split ends. <laughs> <laughs> also, Mercury is in the mix. She couldn't make up one more set right? of planet power. I just, <laughs> I okay. I love that Uranus is in charge of the internet. Right? Listen, it's just been sitting there for, suffering through all the ass jokes for centuries, thinking you motherfuckers just wait. Tim Berners Lee is going to change everything. He's <laughs> so important. So, listeners, maybe you're thinking Teen Vogue is not the best source for news about astronomy and network. Hardware stuff. I am, I am not thinking yeah, that. Fair enough. <laughs> Let's check with Cosmopolitan. Ms. <laughs> Stardust was backed up by Erica Smith of Cosmo's <laughs> Astronomy Desk, I guess. Okay, and she doesn't even have a space name. How can we trust her? <laughs> no, right? Dumb. Smith. Come on. What's a Smith? Nothing. Smith star. Nope. Smith. Erica Smith. She also added that Instagram has a zodiac sign which added to all the chaos. Here's the quote from Erica Smith of Cosmo. Yes, Instagram is a Libra. In astrology, apps and buildings and countries and pretty much everything else you could think of have birth charts just like people. Instagram launched on the App Store on October 6th, 2010, making that its birthday. Mm. And that means Instagram is being extra affected by this particular Mercury retrograde. And the same goes for all you human Libras out there. Sorry. End quote. Oh, you know, I'm a Libra, so that explains why nobody signed up for my OnlyFans. Mercury <laughs> is in tardigrade. So <laughs> I would correct you, but it's not more correct if you say it the other way. <laughs> yeah. Equal. 
And just in case anyone's not familiar with the term retrograde, as it applies to planets, it just means appearing to move backward. So most of the time, we see the planets moving from west to east through the stars. But the planets revolve around the sun at different speeds. So when a faster-moving planet catches up and passes a slower one, it appears to be moving the other way for a bit. Just to be clear, retrograde motion of a planet doesn't even actually happen. Nope. It just looks like something different is happening, but it's not. It's nothing. It's nothing happening. It's just like if I stand next to Eli and he starts walking, he seems to be moving forward in my eyes away from me. But then I start walking faster, and when I pass him, he seems to be moving backward relative to me while I pass. And my computer exploded. Okay. <laughs> that was weird. Shouldn't that was have pissed off your Burst into flame. All right. Well, it looks like we need to find Heath a Sagittarius computer. So while we do that, we're going to pause for a word from our other sponsor this week, Adam and Eve. Hey, podcast listener. I'm Eli Bosnick, here with a very important public service announcement. You are probably not lubing up your genitals enough. Wait, I'm not? That's right, Heath. You're not. Due to general prudery and the myth that lubrication is only needed for fitting stuff up your butt, 81% of Americans say they don't use personal lubricants, and that is way too many. Is it? Sure is. Lube is great for when you're by yourself, with a partner, or just trying to fit something up your butt. Lube makes it easier and more pleasurable. There's self-warming lube, flavored lube, hypoallergenic lube, and so much more. Okay, but where can I get this lube you speak of? Why, AdamandEve.com, of course. They're the number one adult toy superstore, and when you use our code SCATHING at checkout, you can get almost any one item 50% off, plus 10 tantalizing free gifts. Ooh, consider me tantalized. So stop dry rubbing your bits like you're trying to start a fire. Head over to adamandeve.com and drench your business with that slippery stuff today. And don't forget to use our offer code SCATHING. That's SCATHING. S-C-A-T-H-I-N-G. Offer code SCATHING at checkout at adamandeve.com. So edible, you say? Yeah, but it's it's for mouth stuff. It's not just for eating. Mm, I'll be the judge of that. Okay. A man wrote the Bible. A whore is what she was. If it's a legitimate rape. And it's a slut, right? Cooking can be fun. Hey, I'm proud of a man. This week in misogyny. It's almost like misogyny knew I had the month off, isn't it? Like, I get that I'm pretty small potatoes in the grand scheme of things, but it really kind of played out like they didn't want to get rid of Roe versus Wade while I was on the clock. So look, I'm not going to rehash all the fucked up shit that's been going on with Texas's on-again, off-again abortion law since the last time I was here. And I'm not going to take an I told you so victory lap around all the people who've emailed me over the years to say Roe wasn't in real danger. But I do want to underscore how under threat it really is. Look, the American public is still overwhelmingly on the side of abortion rights. Hell, even 43% of Republicans oppose overturning it. But despite that, the Christian zealots in government are getting awfully brazen about advocating for it. Where they used to couch their efforts in bullshit platitudes about safety standards and the sanctity of fetal tissue, they're now just admitting that the goal is to remove the rights from women. Take, for example, Mississippi's Attorney General Lynn Finch, who could barely contain her excitement when interviewed about it on an anti-abortion video. Now, Texas has overshadowed some of the other states at this point, but it's worth remembering that Mississippi, in many ways, kicked off this most recent series of challenges to Roe back in 2018 when they passed their 15-week abortion ban. At the time, it was the most restrictive abortion ban in the country, and it was pretty much immediately halted pending judicial review. Well, that review is about to reach the Supreme Court, 
where many expect Roe will sputter its last breath. And Finch just couldn't be happier about the threat to bodily autonomy, saying, quote, This will be the most significant, game-changing case probably in my lifetime that affects overturning Roe versus Wade and sets us on a new course. I just think God has given us this opportunity to be here. The prayers, the uplifting, it's just been incredible for myself, for the team, end quote. And why is she so excited about removing people's rights? Well, according to the person who invoked an invisible space wizard in her preamble, Roe, quote, shackles states to a view of facts that are decades out of date, end quote. Because the last thing Mississippi Republicans want is antiquated thinking. But just so that I'm not overloading you with bad news, I want to leave you with the sad, sad tale of misogynistic Christian asshole Logan Dorn. Dorn earned a bit of unwanted fame last month when he confronted two women at a beach for wearing swimsuits that he deemed too revealing. They recorded this ridiculous asshole and posted the video to TikTok, where it quickly went viral and garnered him all the derision he so richly deserves. Well, like many an asshole before him, he took a feeble swing at apologizing and just made it worse. His non-apology doubles down on all the shit that was wrong with his presumptuous harassment in the first place. Plus, it adds a bit of transphobia with a throwaway line about how we're living in a time when people, quote, don't even know their gender, end quote. So normally the story ends there. But in the month or so since his first response video fell flat, he's been trying to figure out how it all went so wrong. And apparently what he came up with was that the first video didn't rhyme. So, no shit, he posted another video this week where he raps his feelings about the issue. Now, the gist of the rap is that he's the victim of cancel culture because he did a thing and there was a consequence. But if you can make it far enough into the video to realize that, I commend your tolerance. Luckily, friend of the show, him at Meta, transcribed the damn thing or I'd have no clue what it said. Anyway, with that reminder that sometimes the asshole gets what's coming to him, I'll hand things over to Noah Heath and Eli. Thank you, Lucinda. Next up in headlines in Gun of a Sun news. Some of them are trying to kill us harder than others. Right? This is kind of <laughs> Look, I don't know if harder is the right word, but like with fewer steps, maybe. And that means it's time for us to once again talk about the Rod of Iron Ministries. <laughs> Gun of a Sun. Awesome. Thank you. Well done. <laughs> Because of all the religious groups that should terrify our American listeners, this one pretty much should be at the top of your list. Of course, we've talked about these militant lunatics and their AR-15 enriched worship services before. We talked about them a couple of months ago when they bought a million dollars worth of property in Texas to build a compound they could fight the deep state with. Well, we learned this week that one compound just isn't enough, and they've also purchased a 130-acre mountain property in Tennessee, which is intended to serve as a training center terrorism training center. yeah say what you will about cassandra's situation but at least she didn't have a podcast right, right? yeah <laughs> oh you're prophetic you eli bosnick you're a, yes. a prophet thank you okay i'm just gonna check on your tesla prophecy from a while <laughs> let's see tesla stock it's at like 809 dollars you Jesus said sell at 300 i'm just everyone stay tuned you said big short you, it's gonna come you'll see you'll see time will tell keep death in the universe <laughs> Yep. Coming. Yeah, it'll be worthless at that point. So, okay, so quick reminder of the background here. Officially, the World Peace and Unification Sanctuary Church, Rod of Iron Ministries, was founded by Hyung Jin Moon when he was deemed too nutty to run the unification church started by his father's son, Myung Moon. They first came to national attention when they held an assault rifle blessing ceremony pretty much immediately after the Parkland shooting, and since then they've grown increasingly militant and conspiratorial. 
Yeah, when God's on the mass shooting side of the mass shooting is where you start, you know we're in trouble. Yeah, they've descended from there. God. And you know these people are studying that Waco video constantly. And they're saying to themselves, okay, you know what the problem was? Nobody's doing dive rolls at yep. all. Yeah. <laughs> so everybody out to the paintball course in Tennessee, we can practice that. We, well, we'll get this. So, okay. The main takeaway here is that Hyunjin Moon, also known as Sean Moon because he's trying to gain acceptance in the far right, is about as quintessentially a Hollywood bad guy as you can possibly be. He is a self-proclaimed messiah that calls himself the second king. His brother owns a small arms manufacturer where his church holds spiritual events. The SPLC lists his church as an anti-LGBTQ cult, and when he addresses his followers, he often does so wearing a crown of polished bullets. Okay, that's not... At all, an exaggeration. Mm -hmm. Literally a bullet crown. Just imagine a Muslim leader with a crown of fucking bullets buying a training compound in Tennessee, yeah. 130 acres. And he got killed by a drone. Yeah. He's dead. You can't imagine him. But imaginary guy. They sent a real drone against the imaginary hypothetical guy that he's just <laughs> Yep. <laughs> So, yeah, the race to be the craziest gun-toting, MAGA-loving, lunatic church of terrorism and deep state bullshit is apparently on, and there are multiple contestants. And we're still trying to find the national line where laws start applying to religious organizations and beliefs. Christian ones, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, right. Yeah, well, okay, so with a little luck, we can turn them against each other by telling Dave Dobenmeyer that their church is run by an Asian. But until then, we're going to have to just continue to exist under the constant threat of far-right Christian terrorism. Mm. And inside, kicked in the balls news. Too often when someone is the victim of a scam or a huckster, by the time they know they've been had, the thief in question has vanished into the night with their money. Which is why it's fantastic to hear that this week, the ripped-off rube of a California psychic is suing her and fucking everyone she's ever known oh, yeah. for charging him $5,100 to remove a witch's curse. Yeah, right. Like th This is less like selling somebody the Brooklyn Bridge and more like selling them the Brooklyn Bifrost. <laughs> you should get to sue them <laughs> twice or something. All right, you got to pay that $5,100 back. And also... Idris Elba gets to punch you in the face 5,100 times. That's the ruling. <laughs> yeah. That's the rule. That's true. Okay, that I would pay for. Yeah, I'd, I'd pay to watch that. <laughs> yes, when Moro Restrepo went to Sophia Adams, who runs the business Psychic Love Specialist by Sophia, and calls herself a PH.D life coach, she gave him a tarot reading that, surprise, surprise, revealed to him that he was cursed because his ex-girlfriend had hired a witch and that she could remove said curse for the low, low price of $5,100, which Restrepo made a $1,000 down payment on. A down payment? I love this as an installments. <laughs> like, if he misses a payment, the repossession jokes write themselves. <laughs> now... It's not clear when <laughs> Mr. Restrepo realized Miss Adams was not, in fact, removing a witch curse from his love life. But as soon as he did, he sued her, her landlord, her daughter, and her husband okay. for $25,000, which includes compensatory as well as punitive damages. Cool, cool. Let's see this go up to the Supreme Court. Looking forward to Alito and Coney Barrett explaining that Restrepo did not prove the curse is still there. So, you know, that's <laughs> the founding fathers intended for that to yeah. be a proof. So. <laughs> sure did. Sure did. And look, I know it's easy to blame Restrepo for his gullibility or to look at his ask as a bad faith money grab, but 
scams are the fault of the con artists and tarot cards are a scam, okay? They are not an ancient spiritual practice. They are not the sacred practice of an oppressed people. They are the fuck paintings of a couple of white con men that are used primarily for this exact scam, not for fortune fun, right? Nope, not for entertainment purposes, yeah. Right. The fact that me and my cousins might play the three shell game on the weekends doesn't make it less of a scam when it's used by con artists to hurt people. Because while you might know tarot cards are fake, there's a lot of people out there who don't. And those people are paying for their ignorance at around $5,000 a pop. And finally tonight, we have a story about self-proclaimed Christian prophetess Kat Kerr. And with the retirement of Pat Robertson, She's very important to the show and to the atheist movement in general. We're running out of people. Yeah, she talks out loud all the time. So you know how Matt Powell trapped himself into being our indentured servant who makes videos of how stupid religion is? I do know that, yes. She's like that, but a volunteer. We didn't Ooh. trick her or anything. We don't, she just does this for fun. She's also a crypt keeper who's very badly disguised as a pink troll doll. Yeah. Well, last week... She announced the rules about aborted fetuses in heaven. In case you were wondering, if a mom gets to heaven, the mom can pick the, the age for their aborted fetus who's also in heaven. Really? I'm really sympathetic to the aborted babies. Just like, okay, first you murder me and now I'm two for all eternity because you like my cheeky cheeks? You're the worst, Diane. The worst. Can I tell you that? <laughs> so, I'm going to start with a few other important details about fetal tissue that we know about thanks to Kat Kerr. For example, a miscarried fetus ends up going back inside the mother's uterus. Does it? She said literal words, God will put it back. And with about 23 million known miscarriages in the world every year, that means God is putting them back about 44 times every minute that we know about. It, it, it actually takes up a bunch of God's time, just this one minute. <laughs> I, can't, I can't be the only one picturing this as like a, like a Lucy and Ethel at the Chocolate Factory type situation. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> He's just mumbling to himself, I knew I should have made him do it like seahorses. This is taking forever. <laughs> By the way, we also learned from Kat Kerr that right after Brett Kavanaugh was confirmed to the Supreme Court, all the aborted fetuses in heaven sang and celebrated. Also, she stole our idea for an adorable Broadway musical. I got to say what song they were doing. <laughs> Here's the latest. Memory. According to Kat Kerr, quote, if you had an abortion and you repented, you will get to raise that baby. Normally, they stay as babies because the mother wants them as a baby. Possibly it's growing. It grows very slowly in heaven or God just keeps it young. And that's for the purpose of the parents coming to heaven, end quote. See, I was going to make a joke about how much it would suck to spend eternity unable to wipe your own ass, but then I remembered who I podcast with, and I realized that everybody's heaven is a little different. Yeah, and it's not that I'm <laughs> unable, Noah. I'm unwilling. Right. Unwilling. Un Moving right along, Kat Kerr also <laughs> added, you won't have to do all-night feedings or diaper changes. They have beautiful nurseries all over heaven where your little babies are taken care of by angels. That's their assignment. The angels. Ah, yes. 
The only thing terrifying to a hundred-faced screaming ball of fire, a onesie poop explosion. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so based on all that, uh, I have a few questions. Yep. You guys shout them out if you have any answers to these mm-hmm. questions. Here's First of all, do you think some of the moms pick a super old fetus? You think they're in that? 83. 83, yeah, I don't know. Do some of them do like a Benjamin Button scenario? Or are you allowed to do that, have it move different ways? And why does heaven, the magical realm of eternal paradise, have areas full of orphaned, aborted fetuses all over like it's the fucking <laughs> Texas border? That's insane. Bottom line, the design is very unintelligent yeah, right. based on everything we heard. All right, well, you know, Pink-haired is our fat, and babbling about cartoony heaven minutiae is our singing. So that's going to do it for the headlines tonight. Heath, Eli, thanks as always. Jumanji. And when we come back, Anna's going to remind us that, in artistic terms at least, the opposite of talented is Christian. After doing a few on this show, we eventually spun our cinematic reviews off into their own podcast. But as a quick reminder that... All of the Christian forays into the arts are worthy of our mockery. It's time for another installment of God Awful Music. And Heath had to hop off early, so he's not going to be on this segment, but we will be joined by our resident musical expert, Anna Bosnick. Anna, welcome back. Oh, Noah, I have been waiting for this one. Yeah, yeah, I, mean, I, I, I haven't been as excited as long, but I've been as excited. So <laughs> tell us, Anna, what will we be breaking down today? We will be breaking down Smell the Color Nine by Chris Rice. <laughs> yeah, you, and you Smell the Color Nine. Yes, you heard that correctly. And now this, <laughs> we gave you the choice, Anna, uh, on, on what, to, what to do. So why did you pick this one? Oh, so I have a playlist on my phone that's called God Awful Music that I'm constantly adding to because I have this grim fascination about it. And this was the song that inspired me to start said playlist. Oh, really? So I, yeah. <laughs> I was on a road trip with my buddy who was raised Pentecostal. And I mentioned doing the parody of God's Not Dead and Jesus Take Wheel. And they were like, oh, hold my beer, you sweet summer child. And they played this song. <laughs> and it was stuck in my head for fucking months. It really was. It was. I, I got back home from that trip and I was like, Eli, Christian music is whack. We really need to make fun of it more. Like, I have written two parodies of this song. Wow. Two. And, like, I have a hate, love, to hate, hate some more relationship with it. I love it. <laughs> and Eli, how bad was this music? Well... If you got a vague feeling that this cult might not be all it's cracked up to be, but damn it, you're next up for Kool-Aid. You <laughs> love this song. It's it's daytime television does a ghost episode, the song. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. Uh, yeah. And please don't fucking email us. Yes, Flavor Aid, whatever. It's just Flavor Aid. But that's if the joke doesn't work if you say Flavor Aid. All right. So let's start with the musical aspect of it. I'm not going to pretend to be musically inclined enough to tell you the key signature here. So, Anna, you tell me. So this song is four fucking chords. Very simple. The verse is in G flat. The chorus is in E flat. So basically, it's a fiddle player's worst nightmare. They're like, don't fucking play music on this one, Anna. So, <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's pretty simple chord progression, though. All right. So uh, let's go ahead and fill in that staff. What, what can you tell us about the time signature? 
All right. So we've got something besides four, four, four. Right. Something besides four, four. This is a first. Yeah. Like we got a <laughs> six, eight time signature. That's great. But if you think that's going to bring anything new, fun to the mix, you are so wrong because they play it like a waltz. You cannot <laughs> clap along with this song without feeling like a passive aggressive conductor. <laughs> it's impossible. <laughs> All right. So. For those of us not musically inclined enough to understand all of that, how would you describe the musicality like to a layman? Okay, so it's like if Barney the Dinosaur tried to write a Nickelback song. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. Yeah, so, okay. So I'm going to admit that, like, we were 15 seconds into this song, and I was like, Okay, but it seems like music at least, though. And then these artful lyrics kicked in. <laughs> yeah, they did. Oh, yes, they did. So we're going to go through them, starting with the line, I would take no for an answer. Ooh, that makes him the first Christian musician to do that. So good start. Yeah, right. Good start. <laughs> yeah, totally. And it goes on, just to know I heard you speak, which is some creepy stalker shit. So I, like, we'll eventually find out he's talking to God. But if you think of that as a lady, that's like... That's some jerking off to your dryer lint type shit, right? Yeah. Okay, judgy Noah. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of these Christian songs are like that, though. Yeah. He goes on, and I'm wondering why I never see the signs they claim they see. Oh, oh, I know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a whole lot of answering of your own questions in this song, definitely. Well, if you stand off to the side and just go atheism every eight fucking beats, you're right. (laughs) Yeah, Mm -hmm. it might even fit the meter. That was the first parody. (laughs) Better than the fucking lyrics do, anyway. (laughs) Which, Which brings us to this line. A lot of special revelations meant for everybody but me. Like, fuck the rhyme scheme. Every, everybody fits. He could have just gone with everyone, and then it just fits the goddamn meter. It's like he was paid per syllable. Right? Yeah. So these next few lines, it's wild. <laughs> oh, he, he goes on again, and he's like, maybe I don't truly know you, or maybe I just simply believe. He makes three. <laughs> it's simply crammed in there like he was doing improv and realized that the last, oh, believe is not going to. Like, okay, this rhyme scheme is equivalent to, like, you know when kids will get to the end of the page too soon and they start writing downward along the margin? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's the rhyme scheme for this song. Okay. Baby's first birthday card, the lyric. Right, yeah. So, and that brings us to this amazing chorus. He goes, because I can sniff, I can see, and I can count up pretty high. Oh, pretty high. It feels like a weird thing for a grown man to brag about. (laughs) I'm going to throw that out there. Yeah, I get what he's trying, that he's trying to bring back, like, the smell sight, smell the color nine, you know? Yeah, right. Yeah, Mm -hmm. but, like, for the title or whatever, but it makes him sound like a dingbat. Right. Sure does. Right. He he basically goes, like, I know my colors and my animal sounds. Yeah, and that's literally... literally why I, when I first parried this song it was I know A is for apple and B is for boat like, <laughs> I just fill it with that and Eli said it was too informational for this podcast okay no so that's fair that. <laughs> fucking citation yeah. needed here okay <laughs> so no the chorus goes on he goes he can count up pretty high but these faculties aren't getting me any closer to the sky mm. but my heart of faith keeps pounding so I know I'm doing fine I would really like to know what he means by this because 
None of the information so far points to doing fine. Yeah, no, he's a grown adult bragging about how high he can count. Yeah, I don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that he can smell shit. I suppose in the time of COVID, that is something to brag about. Okay, but. yeah. No, right, right. Sure. But then he, he wraps it up with, but sometimes finding you, that's God, is just like trying to smell the color nine. All right. Now, side note. If you're looking at these lyrics on Genius.com, an anonymous commenter has said, quote, Chris is frustrated that his senses and mind won't stretch into the right shape to bring him close to Jesus. The use of synesthesia as an analogy suggests to me a solution to the problem. Maybe it's not what was consciously intended, but I think Chris has a hole in his heart shaped like one of these. And then there's the picture of shrooms. (laughs) What? Yeah, and and then they conclude shamanism isn't conventionally Christian, I know, but maybe it's crazy enough to work. And it's not. <laughs> what high on shrooms ex Mormon was sitting there looking over the lyrics to smell the color nine and was like, I gotta weigh in here. You would help with some psychedelics for this mother, but Chris needs my help. Right. No. Okay. That's fucking amazing. But I don't want to gloss over the fact that the chorus for this Christian song is, wow, God sure is indistinguishable from the non-existence. Yeah. <laughs> Finding yeah. you is nonsense. Yes. yes. Yep. yep. Pretty much. So if you look this song up on YouTube, you won't find a music video for it. You will, however, find a million fucking slideshows and covers of this song because Christians fucking love it. It is literally a song about how dumb it sounds to believe in God. Yeah. They fucking eat that shit up. (laughs) It's wild. Oh, why don't we just turn to the dark side, guys? Okay, so (laughs) second verse. Now, I've never felt the presence but I know you're always near. Okay, why, though, if right? you've never felt the presence? <laughs> I've never tried walking around this wall, but I'm pretty sure if I smash my head into it one more time, I'm going to break through this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he goes on, and I've never heard the calling, but somehow you've led me right here. <laughs> so, which is like, okay, I have no evidence, and it doesn't make any sense, but what are the odds, guys, that we would be headlining at this wing hut if it hadn't been for divine <laughs> intervention? Yes, I know. Wingstop is just Pizza Hut. But still, right? I'm I'm nailing it, everybody. (laughs) So I'm not looking for burning bushes or some divine graffiti to appear. Okay. Do Christians think graffiti just appears magically? I don't know. Like, there's graffiti (laughs) in the women's bathroom stall of the Times Square Toys R Us that showed a guy playing his dick like a guitar. I'm wondering if I should have followed the sign. <laughs> I mean, you did end up marrying me, so I did. It's true. Yeah. Maybe I was following. Yeah, right, right, <laughs> no. exactly. That that was the sign. So, but I just I love that he ran out of miracle examples after one. Right, he came yeah. up with burning bushes, and he's just like, "Fuck, divine." Duh. Like he didn't even need it to rhyme; it just had to end it up here. Yeah. He goes, I, I'm just begging you for your wisdom, and I believe you're putting some here. <laughs> then why are you begging for it, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> and then we repeat the chorus, and then the song, like, ahs and do's for a bit. Yeah, it's like there was supposed to be a bridge, but he didn't feel like coming up with more lyrics. Exactly. Well, yeah. And then while you're listening to this, they decide to see if they can give a person motion sickness with stereophonics. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And 
there's also this undercurrent of these like little 90s, the wiki wiki DJ sounds. Yes. <laughs> it just screams, see, we know what the kids are into these days. We know. <laughs> 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 this song is nothing. Right? This guy was just like, oh, <laughs> smell the color nine sounds fucking deep, bro. And then like patted it with bullshit. There's like, there are 13 lines of opportunity to say anything at all before smell the color nine and they chose not to yeah it's finished at the, you do not have to listen to this song it is finished at the title no you are a songwriter too does this song go fucking anywhere so okay it's like it's like the song that you'll start singing like you'll just start singing out the actions that you're doing to keep your pets calm when you're about to leave the door or whatever <laughs> oh it's it's like that and a chorus. Yeah. And then, as if it's not stupid enough, he cuts in after the that chorus to go, nine's not a color, and even if it was, you can't smell a color. No. That's my point exactly. Always good to clarify this kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know it's a clever turn of phrase if you have to spell it out for everybody. Right. Yeah, exactly. This song is pretty sure we're arguing with it, I believe. Yeah. Let go of my arm. <laughs> and then it just do 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 its way into a fade out. Yeah, they could have ended it really well. It that's my point exactly. And even the beat pauses for it to like. Mm-hmm. But then they come right back into this instrumental. I guess just so they can fade it out. I do, it has a very like. Oh, are we still going? We're not going. We're, are we going? You're still going. I'm, I feel stupid not <laughs> yeah, going if you're going. It's a very first time doing Hey Jude at karaoke ending. <laughs> <laughs> are you fucking with me? There can't be that many. We're still going. They're still. <laughs> it's so true. All right. Well, to prove that we're not just about knocking shit down, I also want to say something nice about the song before we wrap it up. And since that would require lying, Anna was kind enough to write one of them parodies she was talking about. So now we can at least say that this piece of musical feces inspired something as awesome as this. Hit it, Anna. <laughs> 